VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. It's Thursday, September the 1st. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing the program. You'll be speaking with David when you give us a shout to get in the queue and on the air. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, one 590 VOCM, which is 86. 26. Well, August out with a real bang so far as hot temperatures go. Probably the hottest August ever. I don't know. I think I kind of heard Brian Medor talking about it on the newscast, but I was speaking with someone in the hallway. But it sure felt like the hottest and warmest and most pleasant summer August that I can remember anyway. And certainly really dry. Well, I heard Rodney Barney say it was 28 degrees in Gander yesterday, 28 degrees in Churchill Falls yesterday. So scorcher to say the least and lots of contributing factors. And you, you want to talk about it. Let's go. Can't tell you how many people have sent me emails and private messages of disgust, I guess I'll call it, with how the pools, the outdoor pools here in St. John's are already closed. 28 degrees yesterday, an ideal day to go for a dip. So Bannerman Park, Bowering Park, the city says, for the most part, the lifeguard staff at those two pools are high school students or mon students, so they get a week of a break before they go back to school. That's what's, the, that's what's driving it, so says the city. But if you look across the country, it's truly remarkable. When we use the word shortage, it pertains to just about everything. So there's a shortage of lifeguards. I didn't really know that to be true. I read a story uh, out of the Vancouver, what's the Vancouver Sun, talking about the fact that there's a couple of notable pools that have only been open for a couple of weeks all summer because they can't staff it with lifeguards. So that's been the consequence here with the city and the pools. But lots of disappointed potential swimmers all geared up, a couple of kids in tow, find a parking spot, make your way to the pool just to find it locked up and the sun beaten down. Anyway, quick check in at the uh, U.S. Open. Boy, Felix Ojeeliasim, the sixth seed, out kind of unceremoniously yesterday. Straight sets, 4-4-4. Not great. Leila Fernandez, of course, last year's finalist, out. Didn't play very well. Uh, Bianca Andreescu, the 2019 champion, she's through. Good news. Uh, Rebecca Marino, another Canadian, through. Her first time ever making it to the third round of the U.S. Open. She's thrilled. She was once retired and back out there playing. She's a super player. But I guess all eyes, of course, in the athletic world, and certainly the tennis world, looking at 23 uh, career grand slam winner Serena Williams. I mean, it's remarkable. She's only played like five or six matches all year. And yesterday, she goes through to the third round by beating the number two seed, Annette Kontovit. And look great doing it. Wins it in the third set. Really fun to watch. Just remarkable swan song for one of the greatest players in history, men or women. And for my money, and these are always really fun debates, maybe top five, ten athletes of any discipline, men or woman, of all time. Unbelievable career. It's fun to watch. And she's larger than life on the court. And, of course, the the patrons at Arthur Ashe Stadium loving every single moment of it. You kind of lose sight of the fact that her sister Venus was a great player. Now, she got knocked out in the first round, this go-round. They're playing doubles together, which is always cool. But Venus is a seven-time Grand Slam champion. She's won twice at the U.S. Open, five Wimbledons. But, you know, when you're the sister of the great Serena Williams, doesn't get the fanfare that maybe she certainly deserves for her prowess as a tennis player. And they came from Compton. I mean, they are not the silver spoon kids. 
playing on public courts, and here we go. 40-year-old Serena, 20-something, 28 years into her professional career. I'm really loving it. I don't know about you. Have you seen the videos of Dawson Mercer? Of course, from Bay Roberts, New Jersey Devil. Ford, he's at the Video Music Awards on the red carpet doing some interview work. There he was interviewing Cheech and Chong, amongst others, giving some skating tips of one country star who I don't really know who he is, Kane, someone or other. But anyway, Dawson Mercer showing off his broadcasting chops as well. I just got an update on the senior men's softball championships being played down at the Caribou Complex in Pleasantville. So the Galway hitmen opened up the tournament in game number one and dropped a 9-7 decision to the Toronto Batman. Colin Walsh gets tied with the loss. Uh, Shane Boland, 3-for-3. Three three. Uh, Blair Ezekiel was 2-for-4 with a couple of home runs. Or, pardon me, a two-run home run. Boland, 2-for-3 with an RBI. The bounce back last night, though, beat the Niagara Stomper 7-0. Jason Hill, 2-for-3, three, three ribbies. Blair Ezekiel again, 1-for-2 with a two RBIs. Uh, that, that, uh, Ryan Boland chipped in with a couple of hits. Sean Cleary, of course. The legend, that is Sean Cleary, on the bump. Four-hitter, eight KOs. They play Manitoba today at 1 p.m. at the Caribou Complex in Pleasantville. And as noted by my buddy Fabian, there's not an operable scoreboard. We're hosting the Nationals. Let's get the scoreboard going. Remember all those days going down to what was then mile one, the Mary Brown Center, with the clock in complete disarray, not working. It's just ridiculous, right? So no scoreboard down there, so you can have to keep the tally of the runs on your fingers, I suppose. All right. We talk about public transit and all transit-related matters all the time on the program because it's big stuff. Today in history, in 1897, the Tremont Street subway in Boston opened, the first underground rapid transit system in North America. 1897. That jumped off the page at me. What do you think? All right, let's stick with the roads. We all know some of the concerns regarding our safety and getting to your destination unscathed. The unbelievable amount of people who are distracted while driving not just on their phones but other forms of distraction and the aggressive driving and the speeding and people driving under the influence whether it be alcohol or drugs but what we don't talk about very much is just how many beaters are on the road that are mechanically unsafe so consequently unsafe for the person driving it and their passengers and everybody else so they had a stop, a roadside stop, out at Pinsbrook Inspection Station, so the RCMP and Service NL. Of the four commercial vehicles that they inspected, three had to be hauled off the road. Three of the four had to be hauled off the road. So, you know, every time we talk about the potential for more and more inspections, the consensus is we're just talking about another cash grab by the government. But let's think about it out loud. So commercial vehicles in particular, we've got to ensure that they're safe. And they can't be out there with the baloney skin tires and the brakes don't work and the shocks are beat up and whatever else might be. But three out of four, so the proof's in the pudding. And then you go on to other passenger vehicles and you see them out there as much as I do. Now, St. John's in particular and surrounding area is flooded with expensive vehicles. It's unreal. It really truly is. Luxury imports, wow. But there's probably an equal number of vehicles that should not be on the road. So if it was eight years into the life of the vehicle and or pick a kilometer number or 10 years or whatever, that you're forced to have an inspection to re-register. I know it really does feel like, wow, we're just paying more money to the government. Every time I turn my head, I got to pony up more cash to the provincial government or the federal government. But road safety, and just think about it. If these vehicles get into an accident because they're mechanically unsound, we all complain about our insurance premiums. Well, we're all in an actuarial pool that we share the burden. Not the big part that the uh, person who had the accident will share, but my premiums will go up. So, you know, protect me for, I think we focus on safety, but obviously there's a complication with my pocketbook as well. Do you want to take it on? Let's go. 
I like that topic. And what's going on last night? The place on fire. So the regional fire department had to respond to a couple of uh, blazes. One at a commercial building up on Old Pennywell Road. Another one, they had to respond to Cabot Lincoln. Bunch of vehicles on fire. Ex- loud explosions were reported. It's probably not spontaneous combustion. So, you know, we've heard stories. I hate to... Uh, okay, I was going to pick out one community where they've had a rash of potential arson. But... This really feels like it. You know, I don't know how the vehicles all of a sudden in one night, you've got to think that the firebugs were out on the prowl. And consequently, a couple of pretty serious fires. So no injuries, thankfully. But I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, let's stick with vehicles and the like. And this is coming. Now, many of us will never be in a position to buy a luxury car or a personal aircraft or a boat with price tags in and around a quarter of a million dollars i mean uh, let's let's be serious so luxury cars and personal aircraft for the sale price of over one hundred thousand dollars and boats for personal use with price tags of more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars are going to be slapped with a 10 to 20 percent tax hike okay So, you know, I don't think there's too many people out there that are opposed to additional tax burden for the uber wealthy in the country. You know, people talk about a tax on people who have uh, an additional tax folks with net income or, pardon me, net worth of over $20 million. You know, we've heard that bandied about by the NDP in particular. There are mechanisms to tax the wealthy. There are. So I wonder about whether or not this makes a whole lot of sense. I don't mind taxing the rich guys. (laughs) Now, it needn't be punitive. But when we're talking about folks who are able to, look, I mean, if you're able to buy uh, your own plane or a boat that's valued at $700,000, you're hardly worried about the hike in the price of a loaf of bread. But we also have people in the business of selling those items. So when and if people are just thinking, you know what, I'm going to buy used or I'm going to go to the United States and buy a boat as opposed to shop at my local retailer in Nanaimo, B.C., so I think there's a reasonable school of thought that says that just might hurt retailers, jobs, and a little bit of a knock on the economy just in an effort to get more money out of these folks who can afford these absolute luxury items, as opposed to tax them through CRA with applicable tax brackets and whatever you think is the appropriate number, and or tax on the super wealthy based on net income or net worth, pardon me. But that tax, I get people are applauding it in some corners. But what happens if it has the outcome where, say, 20% of the boats that people might have bought, I mean, it's not going to worry me or bother me because I'm not in the market for either. But what happens if all of a sudden people just go to Palm Beach and buy them? You know, you pay a bit of a tax on the import, but that doesn't go to a business or a retailer or create a job, just goes to the federal government. So you want to talk about that luxury tax? I think that's an interesting one. How about you? Okay. So I tell you what. I don't know. I get why people are mad, even if they're mad at me, about the price of gas, even though I have nothing to do with it. And yesterday, didn't even mention it because I can't keep track of it. I'm like you. There's no rhyme or reason anymore. We see the price of gas will take a dip in different parts of the country, and then the ne- very next day, there's an increase in this province. There's forecasts of a potential 8% decrease overnight. That didn't happen. It's up about a cent. So... Look, I think people, we're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't here at VOCM and in the media generally. 
people are upset when we don't give them a forecast on Wednesday, and they're upset if the forecast is wrong, even though we don't plug the numbers in. So I'm not even sure what to do. You know, I guess I can manage my own affairs in this program. I choose not to take the guess, guessing game because I don't want to be the person that caused you to either to miss the boat or to give you some bogus information that caused you to make a bad decision, quote-unquote, bad decision. So gas is up, diesel's down, it's all over the place. We're told that we're going to get better information from the PUB and transparency, but as Boyd Merrill points out, just understanding the recipe doesn't make the cake taste any better. And he's right. But, yeah, thought there was going to be a decrease. People held off, I would imagine. And look, sometimes people scoff at us for even talking about, well, it's two cents this way or that way. Boy, if you're filling up your big rig and you're already t- pressed for cash and times are getting tight and every time you open up your email or your mailbox, you're getting stressed out, sometimes whatever savings you can uh, achieve might be how you paid for lunch one day. So some people out there, I think they really rely on that kind of stuff. But if you want to take it on, we can do it. But given all those things, cost of living, inflation, price of gas, diesel, people were worried about how that would influence potential tourists to the province, you know, because it could be expensive. And it is expensive. Doesn't seem to have had that effect, though. Looks like the tourism business is enjoying a huge year. Tourists everywhere you look. I hear from tourism operators province-wide, and they're turning away business. They can't even accommodate everybody that wants to come to their, whether it be their lodge or their B&B or their Airbnb or their hotel, motel, or other amenities that are out there. So hasn't hurt the tourists by the look of it. And, yeah, here we go. Today is the day. Yesterday I went to buy something at the grocery store and saw a couple of people, and I, you knew this was going to happen. There was one family, it looked like a husband and wife, I'm pretty sure they were, or they were together, and they had two of the big carts filled to the rim and with all one flavor. And in this case, they're fans of Browning Harvey. They like the Pepsi. Two full shopping carts full of two liters of Pepsi. And why? Because today is the day where there's a 20% hike on each liter of sugary drinks. Now, there's still some confusion as to what the tax will be applied to. And, you know, I, I got a tweet this morning that what happens if I just buy a tin of pop, 355 mil? Well, you're only going to pay the tax appropriate for 355 mil, not for a full liter. That's how we understand it. But retailers, and someone has mocked this particular concern that they're offering, but it's real. So this one person who operates a shop says the only information they even, even got on this was from their wholesaler. And there was a link to the government page, so they had to go do all the work themselves. They weren't given any additional information uh, by the government. So here's the quote from this lady, uh, this person, Alex Mugford, pardon me, Alex. It contains a link to the government website, which has some promotional material that we can print off. They sent a sample invoice for us to see what the future invoices will look like. As from receiving information for the government, we received none. We were expected to go and find the information ourselves. Okay. So what they're going to have to do is a monthly remittance. They're going to have to calculate what they sell each month. Write a check to the government. So they have really added some workload to the retailer. Now, it's not super complicated. Once you figure it out and establish a spreadsheet about just how much additional tax has to be applied to whatever, from the tin of pop up to whatever different size vessels there are for different uh, drinks that are going to be taxed. So as opposed to the government setting up all the tax themselves, between themselves and the wholesalers, now they're having to do it at the cash register. And there's still a little bit of confusion out there. But here we go today. And you want to take it on. The tax on sugary, sugary drinks begins. Will it influence what you do? Because people who like one particular brand of pop or another 
And for me in guards, it's Fresca. I'm all in on the Fresca. No diet Fresca available. So maybe I'm going to have to use that for very special occasions. It's really refreshing. But the tax on the sugary drinks, here it is today. You want to take it on. We can do it. Promise yesterday. So hopefully it will have an influence and a positive influence on health. That's, that's the concept anyway, isn't it? Well, yesterday the province talked about more f- uh, financial incentives to attract, and I guess to keep, I'm going to move away from recruit and retain, attract and to keep family doctors around. So what they had in place last October, they announced that new family uh, practitioners, uh, after they set up in a community for five years with a full patient roster, will get an eligible, they'll be eligible, pardon me, for $100,000. Now they've topped it up to $150,000 based on what they see happening around the country. It really is remarkable that it's not, I guess, on purpose, but it's province against province. All the provinces are scrambling to attract what they need in the healthcare world, whether it be a doctor all the way through. Sometimes people get a little bit miffed when we don't mention every discipline, but you know the disciplines. Everyone is looking for the same healthcare professional. So we're forced to play the financial game. Now, will that solve some of the issues? Is it all about money for every doctor and or nurse practitioner or licensed practical nurse or social worker or pharmacist? You know the ones. So... I don't know where that's going to go, and hopefully it has the uh, intended outcome, but trying to keep up with the Joneses, add to that, it's the lack of national standards on some of this stuff. You know, doctors are kind of tired of going through the financial and paper, uh, paper warfare to even come for a locum. And then the difference between being accredited to be a family doctor here or whatever discipline here versus Ontario or Manitoba, how can, why would it be that way? Like, none of that really makes any sense to me. But anyway, that's what the province has decided to do, as announced by the Minister of Health Community Services, Tom Osborne, yesterday. This is an important one, then we'll get to your calls. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? Let's get her going. There was a long-anticipated move to establish a three-digit suicide prevention and mental health crisis hotline. So the CRTC says that will indeed be the case. So it's going to be 988. That'll be the hotline number. It's the same number now that they've established in the United States for a very similar purpose. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, depending on who you are, where you are, there were different numbers. Now, we are happy to give out the numbers that you uh, are familiar with for crisis lines here in the warm line or what have you here in Newfoundland and Labrador. But this just makes all the sense in the world. So it'll be three digits, 988. Mental health experts have been calling for this for quite a long time, and it makes a lot of sense to me. So that's coming. It should be in place by the 30th of November in 2023. Ten Canadians die by suicide every day every day in 2021 and it's a myth that uh, there was a huge spike in suicides uh, during the pandemic but 10 a day and maybe just maybe you know as opposed to try to scramble for a number you know it you're not born of our children we were told you know there's an emergency 911 so 988 hopefully will be the same front of mind number in the years to come as it's fully implemented okay for your information purposes only yesterday when the COVID hub was updated the province reported four additional COVID-related deaths. That's 24 this month, 229 since the beginning of the pandemic. There's 11 people in hospital, less down from 14. Good news, two people in critical care. We wish them all a speedy recovery. Our condolences to those who lost. I love one. You want to take it on? We can if you want. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. Hold on here. Lamont, I'll be happy to hear that Fresca is sugar-free. It is, too. I should know that as a long-time admirer 
of Fresca. So aspartame is the sweetener. Even though that's not great for you, Steve, we're still in business. Uh, our email address is openline.vocm.com. All right, get tuned on the go before we come back and speak with you. So today in music history, 1979, at number three on the album chart was the second album from The Cars called Candy O. Number one track on that is Let's Go. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Just for clarification, because that's important. So the reference to the 988 for Suicide Prevention Mental Health Crisis Line, that's coming by November 2023. And I made a comment that there was not a spike in suicides. Those were national numbers. There was a compilation, I think I saw it from Health Canada, that included all the provinces and the territories. In this province, I'm told, by a local mental health advocate who knows the numbers and knows more about it than I do, that's we're bloody well sure, there was a massive spike in this province in 2021 by some 30%. So... You know me as a listener to the program. I never play down any of these issues because they're so critically important to talk about openly and honestly and to get it right. So I appreciate the information. And that was a national reference. I suppose I have to be careful with what I, how I couch things because that's important. All right, let's go to line number two. Good morning, Jeannie. You're on the air. Hi, Pat- Patty. It's Hi. Jeannie. How are you today? I'm doing okay, thanks. How you doing? I'm good. I'm calling uh, with permission from a family member about the story I'm going to tell you, and it's quite frustrating. And ironically enough, your ads that lead up to talking to me uh, were kind of hit close to home. I'm calling about um, trust issues and uh, telling the public who you should trust and to be very careful about Uh, when you make the decision about who you sign your power of attorney and your health directive to. Um, It's about an elderly man and wife who were married 68 years, who lived on their own in their own home and who trusted a family member to sign their POA and their health directive to. And uh, they she took a stroke on May the 11th, 2021. And uh, prior to that, a couple of years prior, they gave uh, their daughter that race of signing the power of attorney and health director. Mm-hmm. And up, like I said, up to that point, they were living alone in their own house. He was able to drive. He's 90 years old now. He was driving, and they were, you know, able to cook, clean, and do their own thing. And um, when she took her stroke, she ended up in the Miller Center, and unfortunately, she ended up having to go to a home. Um, the gentleman would visit her as often as possible, and as you know, with the COVID and things like that, there would be delays and things of that nature. And Finally, when he had to accept that she was never coming home, he had to sell his, you know, he decided to sell his family home in Torbay and move into city with his son. His son actually listens to his father crying nightly with loneliness for his beloved wife of 68 years, sometimes calling out to his wife to come to bed. And the son on occasion has to lie in bed next to his father to comfort him. The gentleman, like I said, would visit the home daily, and he became sick only recently and ended up in hospital and with surgery and requiring surgery himself. 
and he's been out of hospital one week, but unable to visit her. And um, the daughters have made it extremely difficult for their father to visit their mother, uh, like occasions like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, whatever, or when the pandemic would allow the father would get dressed up in that to go to the home. And the daughters wouldn't actually have the mother remove, like take have the mother plan to take on a day pass to their house. Uh, or the mother would know in advance and say, you know, are you coming with us? But of course, for some reason, the father shut out of the picture. And, or, or whatever, or even the home. The father would go into the home and the mother want to kiss. And I got videos of this. The father would take down his mask to kiss the mother and she would count how many times he'd kiss her. And then he'd go home and get a call that he's not allowed to go back to the home. Or he'd be singing her songs and get a call. He's not allowed to go back to the home. And, you know, just difficulty things like that. And it's so heartbreaking. And uh, so when he got out of hospital, one of the sons went to the home and made a phone call so that the other son was home with the father and, and the son at the home made a phone call to his mother. And it's been three weeks since they were seeing each other, okay? And um, the mother cried that hard, wanting to go to the father, that they had to stop the call out of afraid that the mother would take another stroke out of her health. So the son that was visiting went to the home and said, can we take mom to where the dad, where the father is? And they had to check with the daughter. Now, they would have a doctor there where the father is. They would have a female nurse to care for the mother personal needs there was only two steps to get the mother in the house and the daughter flatly refused to allow the mother to go visit and we've had they've had lawyers involved but because these papers were signed nobody ever imagined this would happen nothing and uh, I know myself Nobody knows when your time is up. They could go like that, you know, as quick as that. And if you go to court and all that, nobody knows. But these papers are what is determining to keep these people mm-hmm. apart. These, these two children, two daughters, for whatever reason, nobody knows, are keeping these husband and wife apart. They live together. They've been married 68 years. They raised a large family together. And no marriage is perfect. We've all had bumps and rubs. But they actually stuck it through. They've actually seen two children pass. And it is the known fact that, you know, when you have children who die, it can break a marriage or it can make a marriage. And they stuck it through. And I've seen firsthand their love and how close they are. And, you know, it's not about money. It's not about neglect because both of them are being looked after in each individual place. It's about the emotional abuse of elderly and the control and, you know, who to trust when you're giving your control away. And they don't know why they're not allowed and why it's been difficult for the father 
when he tries to see his wife that he loves so much mm-hmm. and the mother is crying to see him. It's, it's an especially sad story. It's kind of hard to understand, you know, of course, like all of these types of uh, discussions that we have inside that family unit, somebody must have an understanding as to why it's being done, whether it's a, a egregious behavior and completely unacceptable. It just sounds to me like uh, a well, couple of married 68 years and can't see each other while living together based on a decision made by their own children. It's just it's, it's as strange as it is sad. It is, it is, and the family dynamics should not have anything to do with the keeping of their parents apart. Honestly, whatever went on should not, because like I said, no marriage is perfect. And there was like, you know, whatever happened, I know myself, my parents met and married from the day they met to the day they married, six weeks. And it wasn't an easy marriage. Believe me, I lived through it. But they decided to live it out and stick together. My dad just died three months ago. My mother died five years ago. But they died, and they figured it out, and they stuck together, and they loved each other. And the way they communicated was through bickering. And we just had to respect that. And they loved each other. And And my father, when my mother died went right downhill and he ended up in five months in a home with dementia and you know we still had to like you know and that's the way it was and that's what they chose and they chose and they could have separated and moved on but they chose to stick it out and love each other and we had to put up with the consequences and go seek I had to seek therapy for it (laughs) you know but I still loved both of them and had to respect their decision So, like, you know, whatever they went through and whatever their family dynamics are, it's not that those daughters' decisions to make to keep them apart because they lived together and they were happy enough until she took the stroke. It's not her decision to keep them apart. And they didn't sign those papers for that to happen, to keep them apart. It's an extremely sad and troubling story. I, I... Not really sure what else to say to it. I'm glad you made I time have gone, for I have gone to other people, like, you know, looking for what to do. They have gone to lawyers and nothing to be done. But it's, like I said, not it's it's about who you trust when you sign your rights away. Because they mm-hmm. never, they never intended to be kept apart. You know, and it's hard to know how you cover off those potential circumstances or scenarios in the future when you sign over the power of attorney. So it's a it's a complicated matter, especially when you add elements like you're adding to the conversation this morning. Because you know we had Leo Bennell on to talk about protecting yourself financially, which can be a little bit easier done because we're talking about hard and fast black and white numbers. When it comes right. to emotions and mental abuse, that becomes much more difficult to understand to assess and to avoid or to protect yourself from. So I'm glad you told us about it. Maybe it'll give people who are in a life circumstance where they're considering how they're going to deal with their finances and their home and their relationship as they age and looking for the person that they can trust and making their intentions known clearly. So clearly. maybe exactly. you're you're adding some thought to other people as they consider how and to handle their own family issues. To be put in 
Understood. This is what they need to put in okay. because it's totally emotional abuse and it's not fair to these two people. And, like, why, even if he wasn't sick, why couldn't a lady who's able to go out of, her, out of the home with no issues, why shouldn't she be allowed to visit her husband who is now right. in need of... So, like, that needs to be brought to attention, and people need to realize that they need to write down these intentions. He didn't even realize what he was signing when the wife panned it over and said, oh, by the way, you need to sign these, that's four. He didn't even, like, husbands of that day, the wife, you know, you just sign it and not look it over. Yeah, it's not like you're you signing know? a contract with someone you don't know or selling you something, so I understand that part of it too. Yeah. Uh, Jeannie, I'm glad you made time for the show. It's a sad and troubling story as I mentioned, but thank you for doing this. And I just hope, and right. like I said, in the courts, they, we still, just one quick second, they still use God and we got to swear on a Bible. Well, in church, when they got married, it said, what man has brought together, let no man Bring, break apart, well, obviously, it don't mean anything to anybody. Like, you know, unfortunately, because one person is breaking it apart. I appreciate anyway, the time this morning. You have a great day, you and too. let people realize what they're doing when they're signing their life away. Understood. Absolutely right. Thanks for this, God Jeannie. bless you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, lots of stuff in the queue. Someone wants to comment on whatever I said about uh, numbers of suicides in the country. We'll take that call right after this. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Caller, you're on the air. Is this me? That would be you. How are you, Teddy? Hiya. Uh, do you consider yourself mechanically inclined? I'm sorry, say that again? Do you consider yourself mechanically inclined? A uh, human mechanically inclined? I'm not 100% sure what you mean. If you give me no, a... Like, a, a, like a, 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 can you fix machines? Oh, I'm no real hand at it necessarily, no. I've got no, some basic either. knowledge, yeah. Me, me either. I, I got a tie rod in, in my hand. I'm trying to hide it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but you, you're you're a uh, uh, you're you're pretty good. Uh, I, I so so good that I even forget exactly the words you said about the uh, the statistics you threw out there, and then you threw out some actual statistics. So I, I'm kind of at a loss now. Why I'm even bothering Colin, except for I got a tie rod in my hand. Yeah, I can't do much about that. Uh, I uh, wouldn't I wouldn't know where to start with it. But, you know, the the suicide numbers, look, I, I try to do everything I can to be clear and accurate because some of these topics are just so heavy that there's really no upside to fudging numbers or exaggerating stuff. So the most recent numbers from 2020, uh, 2021 are not really out there full because where we get these types of numbers from the Canadian Vital Statistics Death Database, then they're compiled and they're distributed by Stats Canada. So the most recent report on those areas regarding excess mortality from June 2020 to July 2021. That's the most recent updated numbers, and it's quite clear. They point to all the various factors contributing to mortality around the country, and it goes on to say, no conclusive evidence of a change in suicide rates during the pandemic. That's, of course, up to July of 20, uh, 2021, but apparently, I'm told, the new numbers are coming out and it shows a spike in this province, so I just try to be accurate because it's a big topic, and it's important. It's too important uh, to be f- fooling around with it. Uh, un- understood, uh, and not to disagree 
credit your studiousness because you you are a talent. Uh, I, I'll I'll jump back in the old Randy Sims because I, I used to like this quote. Uh, there's uh, what was it? There's uh, oh, excuse my language. Uh, was, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. <laughs> Well, and, uh, it depends how you well, use statistics, right? When we're talking well, no, about... And, and you, you, you struck a chord. But I, genuinely, I can't even remember the verbatim words you used. I was like, no, that is not accurate. These last three years have been chaos on the last two uh, uh, letters of the radio station you work for. Uh, it, it, it's been like... And I, I know all across the country, it's like all of a sudden we're supposed to battle ourselves. And I, I get lost in that. And I, me and you have had a couple of conversations, and I'm, I'm not even going to have a big old debate with you now. But the, when, when you t- tossed it out to first, it was like, I called, no, that doesn't sound right at all. Then between that and uh, the last phone call, uh, you, you corrected it, and it was like, you know what? <laughs> Between the resources you got and the talent you got, you know what? You, you, you totally did correct it. And but when, when you throw stats, sometimes I do pick at you because it's like, like I said, I go back to my Randy Sims quotes. It, it, it doesn't necessarily accurately portray a picture. But back, uh, and you know what? Because I really don't have a conversation with you now because uh, you, you corrected yourself. But the last lady that called, the worst thing about the worst thing about situations like that is uh, humans just behave in so many different ways, and it's so hard to it's, 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 it's so hard to wade through. And I felt bad for listening. So did I. And just very quickly before uh, I think you're probably done to get back to your uh, your work is, look, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's it. There's nothing I can say because to pretend that I'm going to be right on everything, every day, every number is ludicrous. I know full well that I'm not capable of that. So if I get something wrong and someone points it out and can give me a bit of resources to back up one assertion or another, I can take it because I'll admit when I'm wrong. It'd be stupid to do it any other way. So The only time I I curse is at the radio uh, uh, towards you is when... I disagree with your point, and you pile a bunch of stats on it because it's like, buddy, I can run a spreadsheet tomorrow, and it'll be lies and nothing but lies. Well, I'm not going to consider the Canadian Vital Statistics Death Database a bunch of lies because it's not liberal or Tory or any of that kind of stuff. It's a compilation of numbers, right? And and I I don't do party things at all. I'm on I'm on the other side of life. And uh, however many spins I get left around the sun, I just want personal peace. And uh, but it, it, it seems to be everybody's battling over this opinion about this and this opinion about that. Uh, uh, it, Opinions are different than facts, though, right? I mean, if these are reports that are compiled by medical examiners, so this is not just you know what I heard from the boys or what someone wrote on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. These are 
different issues that are covered as succinctly as people can. So if I read something from Stats Canada, that's not the Liberals telling me something. That's not Pierre Polyev telling me something. It's not Singh telling me anything. These are numbers that are very carefully compiled to try to give timely, relevant information to, f- to people. And I, I use what I think I can verify. And in this I, case, I, I have no reason not to trust it. I, I, I totally get it, uh, but I, I'm actually going uh, to retaliate uh, and I mean, no, no disrespect. Uh, that's okay. Come on, because uh, these numbers get compiled all the time. I'm, t- I'm telling you, g- give me, give me a paycheck for four months uh, that makes my life comfortable. I can compile a bunch of spreadsheets and a bunch of data that I can absolutely stand behind and. Where to my God, which I don't believe. Yeah, you still have to verify it, though. You have to be able to verify whatever spreadsheet uh, or stat you put wait, out there. Wait, 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 wait through it. Uh, but but when, when it's published uh, because of Stats Canada, da da da, uh, it's a tough one to swallow. Like, VOCM, Voice of the Common Man. Right. Uh, so, so, what, what year did VOCM uh, establish? Uh, it's over 75 years, coming on 80, I think. You don't remember? You don't know the exact year? No, I don't. Okay, no fair play. Uh, no, and, and but the common folk, Patty, and, and I don't mean no disrespect to you. Your job gives you the benefit, plus you're a talented individual. I'm not taking that from you in any way, shape, or form. You're, you're a sharp. It's okay. Would, Go ahead and make like, your point. That's fine. I would, I would, li- I would like to play, play against you and reach for the top in 1982. <laughs> but uh, that's exactly the point. It's like Most people are just trying to live their simple life and earn their keep, and it's, it, it just keeps coming back. How do I'm one of them. Yeah, no, I, you, I, I, kind, I kind of concur, but you do have the privilege of being in the elitist league. Elitist of what? I'm, the only thing I'm elite in is dancing. <laughs> we, should, we should have a Friday. Uh, we, we, uh, Where do I fall into the elite world? Because that's news to me. Well, your, your, your job... Yeah, tough gig. I I bet it is. I wouldn't be able to do it. I I wouldn't even try it. And and that's the truth. And you're a talented individual again, but that's exactly it. You're you're a star in Newfoundland. Not really. (laughs) It it certainly doesn't feel like that. But anyway, and it's not for me to say, right? Whatever anyone thinks about me, that's up to them. And that's the way it works. So some people like me, some people loathe me. I get it. It's all part of it. And neither one of them really bother me or pump me up so much that I rely on that day in and day out. I try not to think about it very much, to be honest. I just do what I can, and I do the best I can. When I do a good job, I do a good job. When I do a bad job, I do a bad job. And people are quick to let me know on both fronts. So... That's part of the gig, and I totally get it. I'm a bit late for the break, but I appreciate the time, and you're always welcome. Can I, can I have a closing statement? Uh, you can you can summarize very quickly. Go ahead. I totally agree with everything you just said. I really, <laughs> really do. But there, there, there is status. Like there, there, you have a place, and your job allows you to do it. And sometimes, actually, the only times I get mad with Patty when I'm just listening yeah. is like, <laughs> that, you know what, that guy who never had enough information under his belt, never had the time because he was out, I don't know, cleaning floors or toilets or building mm-hmm. iron or... Doing whatever, yeah. Yeah, he, he never had the time to do the proper research. 
and when you eat them up I don't like, I try not to no you 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 really do i I accept that i I do but some sometimes you do especially if you're ignorant and uh, and well, that's know. all part of it too, right? People are ignorant yeah. with me. I try to be very patient and uh, I give people a wide berth most times, but you know what it's like if people come at you because they just want to come at you, then they can know that I mean I've got that in my back pocket too but I try not to break it out too aggressively because it's not really what works for the show so again you know you're up you're down people like you or they don't and that's fine with me it really truly is uh, I pre- oh someone just gave me a date here VOCM began in 1936 so there, there you Thank go you so much. more I'm accurate so information I, I, open I line really appreciate this, I really appreciate this okay. conversation because it's not what I call and because you, you already live it hopefully my girlfriend's over in Spain so hopefully she never knows that I cracked off her tie rod and I'm fixing <laughs> well, she, you didn't do yourself any favors. We're huge I, in Barcelona. She's over in the Terra Nova, so they might be listening. Oh, very so good. I, I totally just read it myself. But we'll see. You did. Off I go. Thanks for the call. Cheers. Take good, care. Good luck with the car. All right. Bye-bye. Break time. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to the story. What do you want me to do here, Dave? Talk us to the news? Colin's got the uh, time to uh, wait? Okay. So Colin uh, is coming up next to talk about some of the political rage and some of the incidents or examples of that are kind of catching more and more headlines as time goes by. But also coming up after the 10 o'clock news is Ed Moriarty with Mining NL. So we know and we talk a lot about where some of the shortcomings are and the woes and the gaps are, but there are still chances for us to talk about what are opportunities to seize, things that are right there in our crosshairs that we can be world leaders in. And it's not just things like, you know, the, all the headlines grabbed by green hydrogen and all that stuff. And oh, by the way, we're going to have John Risley on the show next week. It looks like I've secured that uh, through his, his uh, marketing and communications team. But in the world of mining, it's right there. It is absolutely right there. So Ed knows, of course, the industry inside and out, but some of the critical minerals required, and it's not just for electric vehicle batteries. There's just so many different innovations and technological advances where what we are sitting on, you know, like even when the Volkswagen Mercedes deal was signed with the country, the big references were to Northern Ontario and Northern Quebec. No real specific mention of what we have in Labrador in particular. There's some mining on the go on the island as well. Of course, between cobalt and nickel and copper, and there has been lithium discovered, hasn't been produced yet. So we'll get an idea from Mr. Moriarty about the fact he says it can take up to a decade from discovery to production. So that's probably where we are. But now with the the hyper-focus on some of these critical minerals that we do have, we'll know that the chances and the, uh, the opportunities for business and growth and expanded tax base and to become a well-known and internationally renowned hub for some of this activity. Hopefully what it also comes with is a bit more attention to monetizing some research and development, you know, some proprietary and IP that we can develop, keep here to, of course, generate even more opportunities in the future. So, Colin, appreciate your patience. He's there to talk about uh, some of the political rage, as mentioned. And then Mr. Moriarty from Mining Industry NL. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Colin, you're on the air. Good morning, Mr. Daly. How are you this morning? Top shelf, man. You? Pretty good. Life is good. Life is good. (laughs) Glad to hear it. What's on your mind? I want to talk about the uh, incident last week in northern Alberta involving the finance minister, Christopher Freeland. Sure. You know, I find it um, absolutely shocking 
to uh, to know that the uh, federal minister of finance, who is uh, arguably the most important person in the cabinet next to the prime minister, uh, can just go around, walk around this country with absolutely no uh, physical protection detail. Well, you know, when it comes from the fact that, you know, X number of months ago, they were talking about handing out panic buttons to members of parliament because they're facing increasing numbers of threats of violence, what have you. So I kind of get it. I don't know why we don't have some security, especially when it might be required. I don't think it's any big secret to anyone that you're walking around a fairly uh, unwelcoming place, possibly when you visit Alberta, if you're Christian Freeland. So not to say that she couldn't get uh, take a bunch of swats verbally here in this province either, but yeah, it's a fair point. You know, there was, and not to say that the women might not not have been a, uh, any protection, but it's not quite the same as if you had someone who's a trained member of law enforcement, former RCMP or something like that, that's part of your security detail. But, you know, these these things are happening just more and more and more and more. We've got a political rage issue that's growing exponentially, I would suggest, in the country, and it's not good. So people saying, well, well what about what someone did or said to Pierre Polyev? Why are we doing that? If, if anyone squashes an egg on Maxime Bernier's head, that's wrong. What they did, what that thug did to Christian Freeland, that's wrong. If anyone does anything similar to Polyev, wrong. Leslie Lewis, wrong. Jagmeet Singh, wrong. I don't know why we can't come to terms on that. You know, I, I think we have to do a, a major rethink in this country about the uh, physical protection of politicians at all levels of government, really, but especially the federal government. Obviously, the prime minister, uh, because he is the uh, leader of the government, uh, if, you know, for security uh, purposes and things, he, he can't travel, you know, on commercial aircraft and things like that. He has to travel on a government jet. Uh, and because he is the leader of the government, he gets, a, a you know, a mandatory RCMP protective detail 24-7 and his family. But uh, we, we really have to look at extending that to uh, to the cabinet ministers, especially the uh, the top people in the cabinet, the finance minister, the attorney general, uh, defense, uh, foreign affairs, and others, and uh, and extend that uh, protection not only to them but their spouses and their families. It's uh, I think we're in an age now that we just can't have people walking around by themselves and just take it for granted that that they're going to be okay. They're not ordinary members of the public like you and I are. You know? No, they're not. I think, you know, some of the issues that we've seen these things growing, we know what's happening, and it kind of uh, got glossed over. Like, for instance, when Corey Huron drove from Manitoba to the grounds of Rideau with, he, he faces, what, 21 weapons charges, if I remember correctly? Yep. We just talked about it like he was a disgruntled sausage maker. We kind of betrayed the importance of the conversation here. This is not, uh, this is not new. We've heard and seen things like this, and, you know, even if it is, people say, well, that's the United States. Look, if people don't believe that what happens in the States seeps into the psyche and the political discourse in this country, they're kidding themselves. So we know how dangerous it can be in public life. And if we can acknowledge it and be honest about it, then let's do what we can to squash it. Number one, let's do away with the what about nonsense. It's just so stupid. It's almost hard to, to give it any credence. But let's make sure that if people need protection, they get protection, whoever that might be. Absolutely. Uh, members of the Cabinet... Uh, guaranteed. Uh, the leader of the official opposition, uh, him or her, and uh, his or her family. And what about the the Chief Justice of Canada and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court? Are they walking around, you know, by themselves? Do they get to go out grocery shopping and 
go out dining and, and living their lives without any kind of pr- uh, protective detail? I, I don't know. I don't know either, but, uh, oh, what's Malcolm, uh, his name just jumped out, our, our member of the Supreme Court, uh, da, 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 Malcolm Rowe. Malcolm Rowe. Yeah. Uh, one of my pals said he ran into him in a shop in Ottawa. And he didn't, uh, he didn't report saying, you know, him any security details. So I don't know. I didn't even think to ask him if he had any security with him. But yeah. uh, just having to run into him. So I guess they're out and about in as normal a fashion as you can and should be able to do. But uh, they're interesting questions. Look, and, you know, so the pushback will be, why are you such a sooky baby? Someone just said mean things. That's how some things can escalate, though. I mean, just think about it. The end of that video was also, and it's not just about Christopher Freeland. The end of the video was the guy all wound up talking about his goosebumps and, you know, the, the applause from the camera person of that's how you do it. Don't tell me that there's not an opportunity for things to escalate. Because even if it became just an egg, which is not going to kill you necessarily, if an egg is squashed on the top of your head like it happened to Bernier, that's an actual act of violence. It's Why does assault. anyone think that's okay? Like, let's just stop pretending that you know if it was an ideology that you don't agree with or a politician that you hate fine you can hate all you like and yes you can say mean things but at some point we all can recognize when things are teetering from a mean thing being altered to the potential for someone to get hurt and if you can't recognize it then you're just lying to yourself look we, you know we have a history in this country uh the october crisis in 1970 right sure uh, with the Quebec uh, Minister of Labour, uh, Pierre Laporte, he was kidnapped and murdered. That he was. And the uh, British uh, trade representative to Canada, uh, James Cross, uh, he was kidnapped too. And, uh, you know, so political assassinations do happen in this country. And this was the Quebec Labour Minister. This wasn't the, uh, the, the Quebec uh, First Minister, the, the Premier of Quebec, or the Finance Minister. This was, the, the you know, the Labour Minister. Somebody who who's in the ranking of the cabinet uh, uh, importance, uh, you know, they're all important positions, but this guy's the Labour Minister. I mean, what what political power did he have to, to draw the attention of terrorists who want to kidnap him and murder him? Well, the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Werner, kind of warned us about this a couple of years ago. He was laughed at. I mean, there was people convicted and uh, sentenced for a plot to kidnap and kill Gre- uh, Gretchen Whitmer. She's yep. the Democratic governor of the state of Michigan. So these things are out there. It's, it's unsettling. It's really... It's very hard on the head, but we can't pretend it's not happening because before long, if we have a headline that reads something akin to what happened to, say, Governor Whitmer or a repeat of the FLQ crisis, then we would have all just been accused, and rightfully so, of standing on the sidelines pretending it's not as bad as it actually is. Look, you know, the Americans, they get it because they had four of their presidents assassinated while in office. And I think Gerald Ford, he had two assassination attempts on him by two women within a month. And one on Reagan that doesn't count in the four that you said. So, so yeah. You know, and uh, so they get it. And I can guarantee you that in the presidential line of succession down there, the vice president, the speaker of the House, the president pro tem of the Senate, and then it goes down through the cabinet, the state, uh, secretary of state, treasury and defense. Uh, Christian Freeland's uh, counterpart in the United States, Janet Yellen. She's not walking around by herself. No she's chance. Got a sec- she's got a secret service detail on her 24-7. Yeah, it's all, it's all quite something. And it's worthy of discussion. And it needn't be about, well, it's me against you or the Tory versus the Liberal, because that's how we get bogged down. That no. just kind of derails the conversation, because the, uh, the person on the receiving end of a, uh, a knife or a bullet or a bomb won't care who's, what ideology either exploded the device or pulled the trigger. So let's just let's be a bit more honest about this stuff. And nip it in the bud, because it can steamroll very quickly. It can snowball very, very quickly, but we can turn 
turn back the clock uh, hands on that stuff, I think, if we all put our minds to it. Good to have you on the show, Colin. Thanks, Patty. Take Cheers. care. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, as advertised, coming up right after this break, we appreciate Ed Moriarty making time for us. He is the Executive Director of Mining Industry NL. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Well, Ed Moriarty, he's the Executive Director of the Mining Industry of Newfoundland and Labrador, and here's a quote in one of the recent news stories. Our province's geology, our prospectivity as a place for mineral occurrences is very positive and very strong. And Ed Moriarty joins us on line number two. Good morning, Ed. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty, and good morning to your listeners. Welcome to the show. Thanks for making time, Ed. Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and uh, engaging a little bit on this conversation, which is so very important to our province. You know, some, I'm not really sure why it seems to be this way, but we talk every time there's a discovery or potential for an oil development, it is every headline, every outlet, every person thinking and talking about it. I think a lot of attention given like the green hydrogen, even though that's new and a bit of the unknown, but the mining industry with so many upsides, so many active mines, so many jobs created and royalties paid to the province. It's one of the sectors that I think kind of gets overlooked a little bit. What do you think, Ed? I, I think it's uh, you know I think that's a fair comment, but uh, I also think it's a it, it's a different structured industry as well, right? And uh, it has a lot more players involved, particularly on the exploration side of uh, of the coin. And uh, the projects are you know kind of unique in that sense. Uh, you know, uh, it takes raising capital at the private markets and private uh, or in public markets and private equity sources to uh, see uh, very uh, in often cases risky uh, investments move forward. So. Our industry is a little bit structured differently, but uh, I think the contribution that it makes uh, can't be understated. And, you know, GDP-wise, you know, it's the second largest private source of GDP in the province, you know, after oil and gas. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it employs seven or 8,000 people, right, uh, in a direct sense uh, in the province. And it also has a great uh, affinity for supply and service companies that are in our province and who support and depend on our sector to uh, uh, to uh, to develop and, and to advance their businesses. And our industry supports a lot of that. Our, our industry is community-focused uh, in, and very much dependent on on having solid ESG uh, uh, criteria measurement in place to support, uh, you know, advancing projects here in the province and, and to ensure that the community understands and that there are local jobs created for local people. Uh, I think the benefits of the industry overall are, are pretty clear. And I think the opportunity in front of us right now uh, really is uh, a fundamental shift that we're seeing in the world in terms of industrial policy. Uh, and in terms of a supply chain and how we uh, re or how, literally how we transition uh, forward uh, to achieve net zero by 2050 as the uh, as the popular caption goes. So there was, an, uh, I think, an exciting deal signed between North Fault and AB, which is a company that manufactures electric batteries, electric vehicle batteries for Tesla in particular. They signed that deal with Valet. But it was curious that when Volkswagen and Mercedes-Benz signed their deal or MOU last week, a lot of focus on northern Ontario, northern Quebec, no real thought given or national media coverage of opportunities presented in this province, Labrador in particular. How do you want people to view that particular and the potential of deals with, with giants, automotive giants like Volkswagen and Mercedes-Benz. I, I think uh, you just place it in context of where Newfoundland Labrador is relative and Atlantic Canada relative to its peers here in the country. And, you know, Newfoundland Labrador is the fifth largest mining jurisdiction in the country. You know, we're uh, second, uh, you know, uh, co, co with Quebec on iron ore in terms of the overall production for the country. 
uh, produce 20% of the country's nickel. You know, uh, we're a player, a significant player. We're underdiscovered, though, uh, in terms of underexplored, I should, I should say, in terms of uh, uh, the overall structure of the industry here. So there's opportunities for up you know, improvement on that. And in terms of the overall awareness of the sector, uh, we as an association and certainly our colleagues in Nova Scotia have been front and center uh, building out greater awareness of the opportunities uh, here in Atlantic Canada and particularly in Newfoundland and Labrador. At the uh, recent Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada show in June of this year, we had a tremendous outturn for uh, for our projects. We had uh, about 30 companies there uh, that had uh, projects that were uh, up for for uh, promotion and and for uh, greater transparency as the opportunity to the end investor, and the room was full. So I think we're we're certainly going to compete uh, with the uh, the larger players, if you wish. And I think it's a question of working with our partners here locally, uh, both the provincial government and the federal government are very supportive of this sector. Uh, and as you've seen recently in the federal budget, uh, you know significant amounts of money being brought forward, uh, particularly for critical minerals, which are you know by definition uh, minerals that are constrained or uh, supply monopolies exist around or you know there are some strategic importance to a particular country in our case we have uh, solid relationships and MOUs not only uh, started here like you mentioned with Germany but also with the United States I mm-hmm. mean the recent Inflation uh, Reduction Act uh, contains significant amounts of investment to align North America uh, in a supply chain that supports not only U.S. but Canadian uh, uh, operations and and local or what they term to call onshoring of uh, of, uh, of the supply chain. So I, I see Newfoundland and Labrador not at a disadvantage. I see it at a at the front end of a, of a great renaissance in, in terms of mineral exploration and and mining operations here. So I think we'll compete well. Our people are good. we got great infrastructure, uh, tidewater ports. We have uh, a solid, skilled workforce. we got a great supply and service community here to support it. Lots of positives. Yeah, that Climate Change Act in the United States, our legislation, had very friendly tone and uh, words versus what was the original draft, which kind of made it look a little bit bleak for being part of the quote-unquote domestic supply chain and access to some tax credits, but it looks very, very positive. Okay, we've produced zinc in the past. Everyone's familiar with our iron ore and the gold mines on the island you know cobalt and copper nickel but let's talk about lithium because that's going to be one of the highly in-demand critical minerals we've had lithium discoveries no production of where are we in the world of uh, working towards developing lithium mines I know we have certainly interest on the south coast and uh, last uh, uh, well no, I think within the last six months if I recall correctly we had one of our member companies Sockman uh, definitely moving forward with a with an exploration project on the south coast with lithium uh, as the target and that's new to to the province so uh, we're hopeful that uh, you know similar geology rocks that exist here uh, can also be found in South Carolina and North Carolina and areas where we have uh, significant lithium uh, presence uh, you know in the earth. Uh, so we're hopeful that more can come from that. And you're right. I mean, it's a key component in this whole piece, and there are a lot of suppliers out there. But the, you know, I think once again from North America onshoring perspective, the more we can do to uh, support and incentivize that activity here, uh, the better off we are. And uh, I'm certainly hopeful that their, uh, that their project succeeds and uh, we see some further fruitful development from it. 
the demand numbers are really quite clear, lithium and other critical minerals. Uh, you, you spoke to the global demand in the story that I read where you were quoted. But there's also going to be a race, isn't there? There's going to be a race between Ontario, Quebec and this province and other players internationally about the being the provider of. How does your industry speak to moving at the appropriate pace? Not a snail's pace, but not like a bat out of hell because there's a lot of environmental concerns that need to be attended to, need to be understood, community consultation. So while we're in this race, and it's a global race, how does the industry approach and put forward a message that, Everyone needs to know that we still have to do this right because sometimes it can indeed be the tortoise that it wins the race. So what do we do on that front, Ted? Because there's going to be some concerns given on that front. Yeah, I, you know, if you look at public opinion survey work uh, recently out of the Mining Association in Canada, you know, there's very strong support across the country for the mining sector. You know, over 80% of people surveyed uh, see a positive aspect to it and, and recognize its contribution to the economy. Uh, when you look at our, our, you know, how we go about doing this work, you're absolutely right. I mean, a clear and strong regulatory framework, the clean under our clear understandings around the, the sustainability requirements of the country and the expectations of the public in respect to that. I think our companies are very front and center about that. And uh, any press releases I've been reading, uh, certainly over the last few years, have demonstrated that in spades. Community matters very much because without that support on the ground and without uh, a broader understanding of where a project might be going and what its impacts uh, would be, I think that's that's to everybody's best interest to do. And I think a sustainable pace of rate, uh, you know, certainly where we can improve upon, uh, you know, uh, bottlenecks or any... Uh, uh, places where you know we have uh, you know uh, uh, you know bottlenecks really in terms of a, a regulatory process. I think we can always address that by looking at it and working our way through it. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, our industry certainly would support and is supportive of a, an ESG platform or environmental social governance platform that's cognizant of the health and safety of our workforce, that's cognizant of the uh, legal requirements that they have made uh, in community and to province and to the country. And certainly from a community relations perspective, we need to continue to build that dialogue and, and engage folks because not only are they uh, our workforce uh, in many cases, they're also our key, our key stakeholders. Okay, and thank you for that. Last one. Can you help us understand where provincial authority and jurisdiction begins and ends? Do do things change when we're talking about lithium or uranium or those types of things where it seems to be a different kettle of fish and regulations and oversight bodies? So where do the feds start to take more control than the province when we talk about the different kinds of minerals? Well, primarily the mineral base is a provincial resource, and they're provincially managed through the Mining Act and Minerals uh, Mineral uh, Sorry, the Minerals Act. Uh, but the federal government has oversight on environment and joint jurisdiction uh, with respect to environment. So impacts of a project on federally mandated or regulated areas, be it migratory points, for example, or or a fishery, uh, certainly is a, is a key part of their uh, overall oversight. Uh, but respect to the you know the uh, the general tenor of this. Uh, uh, both orders of government really have a role to play because, as you saw recently, the last federal budget, the significant amount of money is being brought forward to support the development of critical minerals as a baseline here in the country. And so we see both orders of government as partners in this, uh, along with industry and community. And so from our perspective, I, I don't see, uh, you know, any necessary conflictual pieces. But as to the federal government's role, there are some specific areas like uranium, uh, you know, is uh, is federally uh, controlled and mandated as well uh, from the point of view of the nature of what it is.
but overall, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you'll find that the uh, the leadership really and the overall uh, you know, ownership of this resource space absolutely rests with the uh, provincial government as the caretaker and owner of the uh, of the uh, of the provincial uh, mineral base. Uh, I appreciate you making time for the show this morning. There's going to be an awful lot of attention given to the mining sector and opportunities to seize. Uh, thanks for this. Can I put out a shout out, sure. uh, Patty, to sure. the things? Sure. Yeah, like uh, our industry really uh, depends on meeting and getting together. So uh, in September 19th to the 21st in Labrador West, uh, we're going to have uh, an event, uh, MineX. Uh, it's a Labrador West uh, Chamber of Commerce-sponsored uh, event. So we're looking forward to speaking at that and getting together and learning more about some of the advances happening in our iron ore sector and victory in terms of Labrador. And November 1st to the 4th, is our annual provincial conference, uh, the Mineral Resources Review. And uh, I would encourage the public to uh, check out and keep up to date on that, save to date, and uh, hopefully media and yourselves and others will come down and uh, and learn a little bit more. We promise to have a, a really good show again this year, and it'll be our first time back in person, uh, as you know, from COVID for a couple of years. So uh, I hope folks can uh, learn a little bit more. And if our website is available as well, uh, www.miningnl.com. Lots of information there and background information if you wish to have a look. Uh, good luck with it, and thanks for your time, Ed. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Sid Moriarty, he's the executive director of the mining industry in Newfoundland and Labrador. Interesting stuff, and there's a lot to learn. Certainly, I need to learn a lot about the industry because I think we're going to see some keen focus on it, just for context for global demand. For the what they call the energy transition minerals, they're looking at a quadrupling of production. So right now in these energy transition minerals, production is around 6 million tons, forecasted to go to around 28 million tons over the next 8 to 10 years. That is a big, whopping growth. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, there's a gentleman in the queue. Can't find a doctor for his neurodiverse son. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go to line number three. Greg, you're on the air. Yes. I've been, uh, i got a young fellow ADHD. Mm-hmm. I had, he was getting sick. He, he eat and he, uh, when he eats, he uh, try and throw it up. He's coughing and everything. And that, so I had to take him to a doctor. And the doctor I seen that day, Tuesday that was, the doctor said, give him Tom's and, and book an appointment with your family doctor. We can't see the family doctor until the 12th. I booked, uh, I went and made an appointment yesterday. I left the area, uh, five hours altogether driving. I went to another, I went to another area and I went in to see and he got registered and everything and explained his case and everything. And we were there four to five hours, whatever. And he was getting hungry and getting upset and that. And I went to find out how many people were ahead of us. And he told me he used the phone and on the phone. He said seven or eight. I caught the fellow that was coming out and calling the patients in. I asked him. Oh, he said, we're only doing emergencies. I didn't know how many ahead of us. So he wanted to go and get something to eat and come home. So that's what we done. Now this morning I got up. He, he won't eat. He didn't want nothing to eat this morning. He's not coughing that much and, and that. But I'm getting ready. I'm going to pack some clothes, get in the car, and go to another area, see if we see a doctor there. 
Like yeah, go to well, the hospital or something? I'm, being, I, I'm going to the hospital. It's just where I'm going. Okay. And, 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 and yeah, and, that, and uh, I'm going to this other hospital today. I might have to stay overnight this time because I'm going to see all depends how you're going to be, behave and that, whatever, how long you're sitting down waiting and everything. Okay. But uh, if, uh, if the doctor is to prescribe, tell you to eat thumbs, I think the minister helps to take him to St. John's and be only his own doctor. I'm sorry, say that part again. The doctor tells you to eat what? Take, uh, give the young fellow, he's 17 years old, ADHD. Right. The doctor said give him Tums. Oh, antacids. What? Uh, Tums, Rolates. Yeah, Tums. because okay. whatever, whatever's in his chest area, whatever there is, there's, there's, there could be a blockage, I don't know. But he tries to tro- give him a Tum, put it in his mouth, he tries to get it back out. He can't, he can't get nothing down. The doctor tried looking his throat Tuesday, and he couldn't look in his throat because he was gagging, trying to throw up. Okay, so... But, you see, um, take Tums and go see your family doctor. And you can't get in to see the family doctor until the 12th. Yeah, you're almost lucky to be able to get in as quick as that. I, would, I guess a lot of people are wishing they could get an appointment. So can you, like, crush up the Tums and put it in a spoonful of jam or something? What? Can you crush up the, t- the Tums and put it in a spoonful of jam or something like that? No, he, he, he don't eat like a regular person. Okay, well, I'm not sure what to say to yeah, how or what he, he eats. He don't eat like anything. He don't, he, he, this is the first time he's been taking Tums and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, he's on, not on any other medication or nothing. But for him to go in and sit down, he was there four or five hours yesterday sitting down waiting, and, that, and then he's getting hungry. He never had nothing to eat after 8 o'clock, eight, between 8 and 8.30 yesterday. Uh, around 4 o'clock last evening, he was saying he was hungry and that he wanted to come home. He was getting fussy and everything. I tried to explain that to them in, in there, but they, there was no headway. So. Well, I hope he gets a bite to eat and gets whatever helps. So if you're traveling when to... He, the, well, I even said to the nurse yesterday, I said, give him something to eat and show you how he behaves when he eats. And, and she said, no, no, don't do that. Okay. You know? Well, good luck with it. I hope you get the help you but need. I'm on the, I'm on the, I, got the, I got to go to another area today. Right, uh, yeah. Might, might have to go and stay overnight. It's expensive trying to get someone uh, some help. You can't get no help at all. Well, I hope you do get the help you need, and hopefully it doesn't require an overnight stay, whatever community you're traveling to. Uh, good luck and safe travels, Greg. Hope okay, you get then. what you need. Yeah, bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, let's keep going. Line number five. Craig, you're on the air. How you doing, buddy? Okay, man, you? Oh, not too bad. Good. I uh, was looking at it this morning, and I was just wondering about the juice. I called the government that, uh, just to find out about this sugar tax. Because I wasn't following on this, right? You know, be honest with you. Okay. I'm a diabetic, 31 years, so it pretty well stays away from all that heavy stuff and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So there's so. no tax. There's none of this tax on milk. Anyway, no. I'm get to the point here now. Okay. In 250 milliliters of milk, there's 12 grams 12% sugars. Now, I'm drinking this vegetable juice all the time. In 8 grams, there's uh, 8 grams, there's 8% sugars. So it's less than the milk, you know what I mean? And it's good for you, it's got all the vegetables and everything like that in it. But yet there's a tax on that of 38 cents on this bottle of juice, this 1.89, so that's 38 cents on that bottle mm-hmm. of juice being put on it. And it's just vegetable juice, you know what I mean? It's not, I'm, I'm a diabetic. I don't drink heavy sweetened juices or anything like that. You know what I mean? But yet, anything that they put a bit of sugar on, they're putting a tax on. A bit, 
they're putting a tax on. And there's none on milk. Well, of course they couldn't put it on milk because people would have went mad. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. That goes in your tea. That goes in your coffee. That, oh, my God, you're serious. Not happening, right? You know what I mean? For to put it on that, because then they'll never get their tax through. And uh, I find that really disgusting, you know what I mean? Because that's what I drink. So, and well, is that about about a dollar to be sure because of the price? Everything's gone up, you know what I mean, because of the COVID thing and everything. And on top of that, now another thirty-eight cents on a bottle of juice that was just what dollar eighty-nine before. So, did you buy one now. today and experience the tax hike? No, no, I phoned Toby. She was in on it. Okay. Then I phoned the government this morning and checked it out. I made sure, you know. No, I was just but, wondering uh, if you actually I went mean, to the shop. That's all. Oh, no, no, no. They told me over the phone, yeah, it's on that. Yeah, and I called the government and asked them to It's on pretty well everything. They never mentioned, like, vegetable juice. It was all concentrated juice and uh, sugary drinks and all this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And that's what I thought. You know what I mean? I don't listen to the radio on it that much, so I just figured that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but when I found out it was on this, too, I said, wow, more sugar and milk. You know, I drink that green milk, that 0% fat and all that. And I my God. I mean, I know you're in the elite, Patty, and you're not the worry about <laughs> So I heard I, this morning. I wish. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, and then VOCM, uh, voice of the common man. Right. Okay, I wish we had the government voice of the common man. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, boy, when they get in there, they're just changing things up as they, as they want to. They should do a bit of homework, you know. Well, it's funny that you started by saying you're a diabetic because I had someone else reach out to me as a diabetic and said, you know, how much thought did they give to the fact that some of these types of drinks might be exactly what a diabetic needs to help regulate their sugar levels, their blood uh, levels, or what am I trying to say? Is that the right way to say it? Anyway. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, sometimes that, that would happen if your sugar got low or something like that. Sometimes that would happen. Sure. You know, you carry orange juice with you or something like that, you know what I mean? To bring it back up, if that do happen. But for the sake of putting it on everything, you know what I mean? It's almost like it is a tax grab. You know what I mean? For putting it on. Like, before, I agree with Pepsi and all that. Like, you know, I drink Diet Pepsi. It's not on that anything, diet. But I mean, that's, I think, what gave me diabetes. I used to drink a lot of Pepsi years ago, you know what I mean? And stuff like that, you know what I mean? And sugary drinks, not only Pepsi. You ever with get lots of sugar in it, you know what I mean? But, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, when I become a diabetic, I gave all that up, right? You know what I mean? And uh, let's see, there's not much you, you can do about it, but for them to put it on that vegetable drink that you're just trying to get your vegetables in it on it and shove it on that too and shove it on all other stuff because he said anything that got sugar put in it, Hey, that's what we're putting on. Yeah, and there are, I think people will be a little bit confused as they shop and wonder whether or not their favorite beverage is going to see this additional tax. And, you know, if yeah. it's all about health and healthy lifestyle and healthy choices, what have you, I think people point out an interesting uh, uh, factor here. So children in particular, because once you develop your habits, it's hard to get away from them, diets in, in particular. So, like, one of the most sugary aisles at the grocery store is where the cereal is. And, I mean, okay. some of the most favorite uh, children's cereals are pretty heavily bogged down with sugar. sugar. Uh, and, you know, people will say, well, where does this stop? Are they going to tax uh, additional tax on chocolate? Are they going to put a tax on the cereal? Are they going to tax on this or that? Which are fair questions because we don't know where this possibly will end. And 
add in the retailers' confusion and the manufacturers worried about whether or not it's going to cost them product being bought and consequently jobs. So there's there's more to it than uh, simply just twenty cents a liter on your favorite full bore, whether it be Pepsi or Coke or whatever. Yeah, just based on the volume. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's the point. It's just like you're saying. That's why I said the government. You know, voice of the common man should be in the government because the things they do sometimes is so outrageous. I mean, I can see like on heavy sugar. I can see it. I'm a diabetic. I can understand it. You know what I mean? And you know, you got to have some sugars and stuff like you said because if some people their sugars goes down or taking insulin, they need something on to get the sugars to go back up, or they probably end up in a diabetic coma. Right. You know what I mean? So I mean. There's all kinds of stuff going forward or against it, but I mean, I'm against sugar, low to sugar and drinks for sure. But I mean, the point of the matter is, you got to have some sugar, and this thing hardly got no sugar, and they got tax on that. So I get it. I don't know. Thanks, Craig. Good luck. What kind of vegetable juice do you drink? Uh, different kinds. Okay. Sometimes I'll get it at Sobe. Sometimes I'll get it at uh, Walmart or something like that. You know what I mean? But it's basically the same. It's uh, I get the one that's low sodium, and uh, like V8 or something. Yeah, like that kind of shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, good to have you on, Craig. Good luck with it. No problem, me, buddy. You have a good day. You too, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'm getting lots of elite stuff here, uh, which is really so funny. Uh, let's get Mike before we go to the break. Uh, Mike, on four, you're on the air. Uh, Paddy. Yes, sir. I picked up a license plate up on the Transcanda yesterday. Okay. I wonder if anybody is looking for their license plate. Is that a trailer? And it's from Alberta. Oh, okay. So bounced off the back of a trailer. That's too bad. Uh, so a license plate from the province of Alberta. What's the most recent registration sticker on it? Uh, there's a permanent sticker on it and there's a number on it. Okay. Well, nine, give it- nine, nine, five, five, nine, nine, I don't think anyone's got that memorized, but okay. No. Someone, if someone lost their trailer license plate from the province of Alberta or issued in the province of Alberta, Mike's got it. Mike, give us your number if, if someone wants to get re, uh, reunited with their license plate. Okay, seven two eight. Got it. Three three one seven. Seven two eight three three one seven. Good man. Thanks okay. a lot, Mike. All right, thank you. All the best. Okay, bye bye. License plate. That must have been awful loose. You know, I don't think I've ever heard of a license plate falling off before. But anyway, it did. I doubt someone just took it off and fired because they were sick of it. All right, let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, Jesse, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How's it going, buddy? Great today. You? Oh, not too bad. Having a sip of Pepsi now, which has cost me a couple of extra nickels. But that's it. It get is on what the, it is. Get on the diet. Yeah, that's a good idea. I could use it, too. I'm going around. <laughs> but, uh... No, but I was just wondering, but you, if you think the, P, the PUB is trying to make Dan Mateg look like a fool or something, or what? Uh, no, I don't imagine it is. Now, what Mr. McTigg, I can't speak for him, but in the past I've heard him where he's made a forecast for a price and it turns out to be wrong. He questions whether or not we're using the same benchmark numbers, whether or not we're plugging the same numbers and market impact numbers into one formula or algorithm or another. So I don't think there's a personal grudge out there, but it is strange how different the PUB shows numbers versus what McTeague uses numbers and what we see. Like gas can drop in Toronto one day, but increase here. So it's kind of hard to make rhyme or reason of it, by to be honest. 
It is, by the like, you know, the demand says it's going up. They'll put it down usually. And if, if he says if he says it's going down, they usually try to usually put it up. Well, he said it was going yeah. down overnight, eight cents. It went up a cent. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Right. I hear you. But now, like, here we are now on the cost for the long weekend. Everybody's going to want to go up to the campers, go on the road, you know, do their thing, right? Yeah. So. In my opinion, it seems to me like they put it up to get that extra cent a week. And I bet you, I bet you, before the weekend's over, probably Monday, they'll probably use that interruption formula and bring it back down to a price that he probably said it should have been, anyways. Don't be surprised if we see a decrease in the next couple of days. Whether or not it's before people gas up for the long weekend, I really don't know. But you make an interesting point. It's funny how when it becomes time to have more vehicles uh, traveling longer distances, especially when we get through the winter, all of a sudden the price of gas goes up again. Now, I know there's a direct relationship between supply and demand, but it never ceases to surprise or amaze me how it always happens around the exact same time. Busy long weekends, boy, how did that happen, that price of gas? Is up because the price of gas is not a, a forecast of uh, one weekend. It, most of it is on 90 days, right? So anyway, uh, you make an interesting uh, observation that maybe there's a, a personality conflict between Mr. McTague and uh, the PUB. Right. You know, that man That man stepped into, you know, to, to, to let us know the numbers. And they're like, so it's like something that George held near and dear to his heart, right? Absolutely. And he's, not, and he's nice enough to take time out of every week to go down line and tell him. And then it seems like no matter what he says, it he does pretty well exactly the opposite. Right? It certainly feels like it. Yeah. yeah. But that's it. That's all I call him for. But I, you know, I just wanted to voice my opinion on that one this morning. I'm glad you did, Jesse. Thanks a lot. No, that's right, buddy. You have a wonderful day. You too, Jesse. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, yeah, I never really thought of it like that. That is a, uh, some gamesmanship. I don't think it is, but it's a it's an interesting observation. Let's go to line number two. Phyllis, you're on the air. Yes, Patty. Yes, I just Phyllis. have a quick question. Sure. Do you have any idea where a person could go to a private clinic for an MRI? In St. John's? Anywhere in Newfoundland. Okay. Uh, I don't really know. I don't think I've ever even tried to find out. But I can have a very quick look through my... Uh, private MRI Clinic NL. I don't really know if there is one. I know that there are all kinds of. Oh, here I got one. Optimal Diagnostic Imaging, St. John's. Hmm, there you go. Didn't even know that was the thing. No, either. What did you say it was? So it's called. It pops up to me as Optimal Diagnostic Imaging, and it says it's on George Street West. So further down from the bar scene, uh, like down towards Jag or what have you, I suppose. Yeah. That, that, uh, yeah, so have a look. It doesn't actually list a number, but uh, there's another link here. Let me see what I can find out. So Private MRI Clinics uh, Canada. Oh, this is a useless website. Let me get off that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's the only one that comes up that I see quickly here. Are there private? It's not banned in Manitoba, PEI, and Newfoundland. There's no private clinics available. That's the story from 2020. Look, I tell you what, during the newscast, I'll see if I can get you a contact uh, number for that particular clinic so you can verify before you make your way downtown to see if it's a thing. But, yeah, that's what came up uh, when I just had a quick look. Yeah, Diagnostic Center, St. John's. Okay, I appreciate that, Patty. Thank you so much. No problem, Phyllis. All the best. You too, dear. Bye-bye. Has anyone gone to a private MRI clinic? You know, that's one of the areas where people will worry about universal health care. It's not free. It's universal. We pay for it. Everyone understands that. But it's the introduction of more and more private offerings. There already is. You know, people call it two-tier. The problem with the conversation is, as soon as it starts, people say, well, we don't want American health care. No, we don't. Well, we don't. They, they have a terrible setup. 
but we have also a broken system in this country and it needs to be fixed so people wonder whether or not privatization is coming and the worries associated with it for some things i don't think they're all the same like for instance an mri clinic if you can get out of the queue and bump someone up in the public queue to get an MRI sooner than they would if the person in front of you who can afford to go down to optimal diagnostic imaging and pay them whatever the fee is for an MRI, that's a different thing. The one distinct worry I think people rightfully point to is if we further privatize, because remember, the doctors are basically subcontractors, right? They're independent business people. But if you had it where they were simply taking cash for service, not billing MCP directly for something, let's just say in a family doctor's office. The one example that I've read about that I think makes sense is they would have the ability to turn you away. So patients with complex needs you know, with different complicated uh, health concerns. They can turn you away. You end up in the public system. People who have very general inquiries and general uh, and uncomplicated health, then they'll take you and your money. But if it's a real time-consuming, arduous, difficult, complicated individual, potential patient, maybe you end up back in the public churn and easy ones, quote-unquote easy ones, end up in a private family clinic. So... Anyway, we, it's like most conversations. We take it to the nth degree before we even try to flesh out some of the working parts, right, and the different details. So talking about there is already private offerings in healthcare in this country. There is. But if you immediately say any talk about that says, well, we don't want to be like the Americans. No, but we don't have to be. But we do indeed need to figure it out. All right, when we come back, it's the tax on sugary drinks. Uh, Ron talking about the price to go to the softball game. I did give the shout-out for the Galway hitmen that are competing in the men's softball championships down at uh, the Caribou Complex at Pleasantville. Uh, one-on-one yesterday. That's the good news. But apparently the tickets are pretty steep. Ron will talk about that after this. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Say good morning to the PC member for Stephenville Port Report. He's the opposition critic for finance. That's Tony Wakeham. Hi, Tony. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. And uh, the day has come that sugar tax has been implemented. I and others have been uh, fighting hard to have this canceled for more than a year now, but the Liberal government refused to listen to not only uh, myself and others, but to many in the uh, in the business community as well. And, you know, this tax does nothing to increase the availability of healthy food. It, you know, it's punishing those with limited options. And instead of helping people access healthy options, the liberals are actually making a cash grab on our most vulnerable population. Yes, the people in Newfoundland and Labrador should be encouraged to make healthy choices. But a sin tax is not the correct approach. NAEP has said that, you know, and I agree, public health education campaigns proved effective during the pandemic. And if we need to inform the public about healthier choices, then perhaps we need to have a campaign like that. The only campaign they've launched to date seems to be the one to try and support their sugar tax. Yeah, I mean... Look, if people, there's lots of uh, research uh, and reports out there about how it's worked elsewhere, and the comment about it really does have a negative impact on the most vulnerable, we'll, we'll say people who are poor or working poor or what have you, it's true. But let me say this for the purpose of conversation. 
does every segment of society have an opportunity to make different decisions? So if I'd like Pepsi, but I know I can pick up the Diet Pepsi without the additional 20 cents, that's something that they can choose to do if they're so inclined. So does it not present an opportunity for people to make different choices? Because it's not all about you can never have another drop of pop without paying 10, 20 cents. There's just different, whether it be the full leaded or the unleaded pop. Right, but the challenge will be, and as you saw on your VOCM question of the day, right now the majority of people have said that this tax will not change their habits. So that's a key message that it's already people are saying this is not going to change. But what we need to do is educate people. That has a better impact on people's lives. When we inform, when you have an informed community, then you have an educated community. And that's where we need to go with this type of thing, not adding more tax and taking more money out of people's pockets. But the other really frustrating part in this too is you know at the same time as they've managed to roll out a sugar tax they can't seem to find a way to roll out the home heat rebate program that they announced months ago yeah it's two weeks away i've, I've been dealing with that unfortunately a lot i'm like an mha for some of that stuff um okay here's another part of it so uh, there's so many stories that come out around the same time and here we are this week reading a story university of toronto did the research regarding food insecurity 22,000 children experienced food insecurity in 2021 in this province. The debate on the floor of the House of Assembly said creating new policy, education, awareness programs, whatever. How about if the monies that they get, whether it be $9 million, we nobody knows what they're going to bring in, but if there was a targeted approach to dealing with 22,000 food insecure children as a part of this play, I'd be a little bit more supportive of it. But as it stands, it really is hard to view it as a, uh, a pro-health issue if people aren't going to change their mind. Syntaxes have not worked as a standalone so like in cigarettes is the example i use all the time they changed the packaging they hid them behind the wall there was up teen awareness campaigns about the negative impact on your health of tobacco uh, all of those things just changed at the same time it wasn't just tax that made people stop smoking it was other issues and i think most importantly was labeling and the education that people were given about uh, tobacco Patty, I agree with you in terms of reallocating money, in terms of uh, moving it around. I do not believe the government needed to increase taxes on the people of Newfoundland and Labrador to fund those things that they already should be doing, whether it's the uh, school lunch programs or anything else. You know, when this government can turn around and spend $5 million on a report that nobody in the province is allowed to see, you know, where's that $5 million gone? Why can't that be used now for something like this, for to educate people and to help people and to deal with food uh, security. Those are the type of choices that government makes. Unfortunately, this government has chosen not to make them, and they take the easy way out, and that's simply to put more taxes on more people and take more money out of people's pockets. And this is exactly that. And it's more than just 20 cents, because when you go to pay that 20 cents, you're going to pay HST on it. Yeah. So there you go again. I don't know if you know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you, because I know you didn't implement this. Who does the remittance? If I own a retail shop, do I do a monthly remittance? Does the wholesaler do it? How does it even work? Because I got someone telling me that the wholesaler is doing it, but I got a shop owner telling me that they're forced to do it. Do you know? No, 
Patty, that's an excellent question because I have the same questions being asked to me. I've had business owners call me. The confusion around who does what, it's out there. People do not understand. The business owners do not understand the lack of communication from the government on how this was supposed to have been implemented. It, It certainly appears that this was something they just simply wanted to force through without any planning, with any thought, without communicating to the businesses who are responsible for either collecting this money or how or whether it's the wholesalers or the individual businesses you're absolutely right very little thought gone into it nothing more than a tax grab appreciate the time tony thank you patty take care bye-bye Bye. uh yeah i don't know oh sugar sugar i should have asked him something else too we'll get him back uh one ron you're on the air Yes, Patty, uh, I phoned about uh, softball, yep. senior softball. Yep. Yeah, I missed your shout-out. You said you gave a shout-out to the Hitmen this morning. I missed that. Um, uh, I don't know, like, you know, they're defending champs. They're shooting <laughs> for a record, I think, this time, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they're right there in the conversation. I had some of those things in front of me a while ago. I don't know where I put them, but they went one and one yesterday. Uh, open up at a 9-7 loss and won 7-0 uh, last night over Niagara. They play Manitoba at one. I'm actually going to try to make time to get down for a look. Yeah, uh, bring your wallet. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, um, when I went yesterday, well, I went to talk about ticket prices. And, like, I played softball when I was a bit younger, <clears throat> a lot younger. And... Uh, I understand it costs a lot of money to put these things off, but I sort of got caught off guard yesterday, and shame on me for doing that, right? I was chatting with my buddies, and I uh, just want to give let people a heads up on this, right, in case they don't check prices out like I didn't do. Talking to my buddies a couple of days ago, I'm going to go pick up a couple of games. Yeah, he said it's $5 a game kind of thing, whatever. And So uh, we knew someone playing in the Masters tournament yesterday, so seven of us got together and went in, and uh, when I showed up with my wife there, we just went up and had my 10 bucks out for two tickets, and... Uh, but he's what are you planning on buying with that a Pepsi or something or whatever and uh, I said how much your tickets five bucks he said no no they're twenty dollars right so uh, I said oh shit okay wasn't wasn't planning on that for today so me and the wife paid forty dollars to go in and watch the softball game it was the only game we watched uh, but I sort of got caught off guard with it like uh, I just didn't know and and like I get like I said shame on me. Uh, you get a $20 day pass, you can go to uh, Lions Park, where Masters were at yesterday, and uh, and uh, you can go down to Pleasanton that night. So if you're doing the full day, it's a great deal. Absolutely, right? and that's the trick, isn't it? If I had time to go see a bunch of different games today for 20 bucks, no problem. No. Uh, but uh, it's also the entire five-day turn with 75 bucks is not a bad deal either, but I only have time, if I can even manage time this afternoon, to go to one game, and so that will be 20 bucks for me. And, you know, like, for instance, I can go see the Jays sit in the nosebleeds uh, for 20 bucks. So it, it is a bit steep, but it's a, it's a good value as a day pass. But a single game, oh, people make up their own mind, I suppose. And, you know, I didn't mind yesterday. See my buddy playing in there. We went in. We sort of sucked it up, watched the game and that. But I think it's a bit of a deterrent. And I was talking to, uh, well, I'm not mentioning name, but Joe Maynard was in there. He's a big guy with softball, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, Joe, he's a phenomenal guy all around for the whole community, the whole province, actually, right? He's like, he's a great guy. And I was talking to Joe a little bit, and he, like, he just sort of could shrug his shoulders and say, like, you know, this, 
you know, and people like Joe, the organizers, and that I really appreciate everything they do and the decisions they got to make. Because if they charge me or you five dollars to get into the game, and then you're going to stay and watch the second game, you're not going to leave and go out and come back in and pay another five bucks. Like you know, people are just not going to do that. They can't kick everybody out after the game and get them to pay to come back in. No, absolutely, that's just how it works. You know, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. It's just unfortunate, and I can't see any other way out of it. Really, is just you know, is you know, and it, it is a good value. But if, in a situation like you said, or I. I said, me and my wife went for one game. It costs us forty dollars, and that could be a deterrent because I know I'm not going to go to as many games as I thought it was going to go to because I thought it was five dollars. It was packed down there last night. Yeah, yeah, and well, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and I think they will get like we, you know, everybody in Newfoundland knows we got the great players here, right? So, you know, and I do go and watch some senior games during the night as well. So, uh, but anyway, uh, it's good on the boys. Uh, the buddy I went to see on the Masters, they won last night. They were losing four nothing. Came back, pulled it out five four. Great, great there against Alberta. I will be taking some more games in, and uh, you got the entertainment, I guess, down at the field, down at Pleasantville and that, too, so that's great. Yeah, hopefully people go support it. If you can see a bunch of games in the course of a day, then you got yourself a, a fantastic value of 20 bucks. Yeah. Me, I think I'm going to suck it up because I'd like to catch a bit of the action anyway. I usually do, yeah. and uh, i got some buddies on the team. So, anyway, yeah. we'll see how they do. I, ju- I just wish them good luck. I hope they win it again. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to let people know, like, is, is, you know, I, I thought it was five bucks, but it's, and just give people a heads up. Sure. And, and for 20 bucks, you're getting a great bang for your buck. You really are when you get over that initial. I was just initially shocked when I had 10 bucks out. Buddy said, no, it's going to be 40. I just got, move. okay, wait now, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, sticker shock, that's all part of it. I appreciate I the call, Ron. One other quick little thing, Patty. Quickly. Okay, emergency wait times. I spoke to you before one time about... Um, Maybe if they could do a phone-in, like uh, if you go register and they say, hey, you're going to be here like 17 hours and you had a car outside you could sit in instead of being inside. Oh, yeah. They call you on your cell phone, something like you do at the restaurants. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember you, that. You gave me a number to call at the healthcare care co- co- uh, uh, community or some number anyway you gave me. And I did phone healthcare and pass that suggestion on to them. Uh, you know, I never heard nothing back. I asked them if they could call me back. I never did hear a call back, but... Uh, yeah, instead of having people sitting in there for 17 hours, if they could sit out in their car and then get a call like at, you know, some of these restaurants do, like, because you're not in the room with everybody kind of thing, right? So, yeah, it's a good idea to me, but I don't know. And maybe if you, you know, there was a time limit. So you got the text, because, I mean, there's I've gone to restaurants where you go sit in the bar area. You get a zip, a text on your phone says your table's ready. Yeah. And they don't give you a big load of time either to get to the table. So healthcare could do the same thing. So you got... Five minutes from when you get the text, other they jump you and take the next person. Whatever it is, yeah. it's not a bad idea. Yeah, so anyway, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to phone the health department next time or something. Okay, thank you for your time, Patty. Hey, Ron, all the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we go back, Tom's in the queue to talk about elder abuse. We actually heard from Leo Bunnell, who was on yesterday to talk about financial elder abuse. And, you know, more and more exposure to it hopefully will decrease the number of uh, instances where it happens, whether it be mentally, emotionally, financially, or physically. And so he's heard from a bunch of people since our chat. And if you want to tell your story, because it'll help open the eyes of folks out there who may be looking at how to set up their world as senior citizens and who can look after what, a power of attorney, those sort of things, the important conversations. Tom's up after this. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back. Let's go. Line number five. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing? Great today. Thanks for asking, Tom. How are you doing? 
Not too bad. I was out to my boat in Freddie Harbour and I kept getting cut off. Uh, and by the way, if you need to go, I want to go and catch a few fish sometime. Uh, let me know. You got my number? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you went out or not, but. Uh, uh, we're out in Petty Harbour, so if you want to go out, you've got my number, give us a call someday. Will do. Thanks. Uh, uh, the uh, Patty and Carly, we keep hearing all these conversations about senior abuse and, and all those things going on, especially financial uh, abuse and things. But the worst person, the worst organization doing the financial abuse is the government itself. And, and just give me a second to explain. Uh, I, I get a military pension. I'm retired from the military. I get Canada pension. I get all age pension. And I'm quite a bit older than my wife. And there's a good chance that I'm going to be in a home long before she is. As soon as I go into a home, the first thing they're going to do is say to my wife is, uh, okay, list your debts off. Well, we don't have a mortgage. We don't have any of the bills. The only bill we have is, a, is a electricity and a cable. So... The first thing they're going to do is go and take my military pension. And then they're going to take my Canada pension. And then they're going to take my old age pension. Now, the law in Canada says that my wife is entitled to 50% of everything I own, and that includes my pensions. And yet, as soon as I go into a home, the government takes everything. And that's wrong. That's patently wrong. But is that exactly what happens, as opposed to oh, yeah. they understand how much money you have coming in the door, which ends up in a formula for what kind of price you pay for a bed, a room, and a home? Oh, yeah, that's what happens, Patty. You know, it, it, of course, you have to list your expenses. You have to list all your things. Uh-huh. But, uh, uh, you know, if you, like I, I happen to know uh, uh, some friends of mine who both of them received pensions. Uh, retired. One of the people went into the home, and they took all of what the other spouse had, every single penny. Now, I don't expect them to go into a home and not have to pay for it, but there should be some stipulation in place that leaves that spouse at 50%. You know, I'm in the process here now of doing the extreme and saying, well, if I get sick, the first thing I'm going to do is divorce my wife and uh, give her 50% of what I own so they can't touch it. You know, she, that's her entitlement. She, she she earned that just as much as I did. You know, that's her 50%, but yet they take it all. Now, I don't expect people who have lots and lots and lots of money to go in these homes and live for free. But to take every single penny, that that's, that's wrong. You know, here's a couple in the prime of their life starting to enjoy their financial freedom. They earned it. They worked for it. And there they go. And one of them, unfortunately, gets sick. And then government takes all their money. Yeah, that's wrong. Uh, you know, I can't see why they would do that. You know, especially when the wife has a legislative legal entitlement to 50% of what the husband. Now, of course, the opposite would be true if the wife went in and she had the pensions. But that that's horrible, you know. That's... Uh, no other words for it. Yeah, and, and so then people, the the thought is at that point, then they give you an allowance. Okay. $100. Yeah, what $100. I really need to do is to get someone who is working in the government and then someone yeah. in a private offering to tell us exactly what the intake looks like. Walk us through it. Yeah. How do I get assessed yeah. at my home to be put on a list to get a personal care bed or a long-term care bed? And then what happens? Yeah. Tell me exactly yeah. what I owe you for information. Tell me exactly how you deal with whether it be my pension and the legislative protection afforded to the partner 
for access to 50%. That's what I need to do because I don't necessarily understand exactly how that works. So I'm going to get yep. someone on where I can verify and look up and back up what they say to make sure it's absolutely on point. And I'm going to do that because that would impact an awful lot of people because it might not be you today, but in five years it might be. So I'm going to do that oh. and get us to walk us through the process. Perfect. That would be great, Patty, and I'm sure that uh, you'll double your listenership because that's something that's been of a big concern to me. I had a friend of mine who passed away a little while ago was in a home, and, and they took all of his money and left him with, with $100. And again, I happen to have another friend, the same situation, whereby a couple of retired people, and they took all of the husband's uh, financial income, his pensions and all those kind of things. Okay, and, yeah, I'm going to have someone out. Perfect. Appreciate that, and thank you for taking the call. Pleasure, again, Tom. If you want to go fishing, if you want to go fishing someday, just give us a call. I'll do exactly that. I appreciate it, Tom. No sweat. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah, we, Dave. Let's figure out who that best guest is because that's that's a good conversation that we really need to have. Line number two, Rod. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How you doing? Grand. How about you? No, not too bad, Patty. Just a quick little thing about that uh, pop tax and all that stuff. Yeah, it's probably a pop tax grab, no doubt. Uh, I'm a diabetic and that too, Patty. I'm insulin free, so I'm a type two. But uh, every now and then, uh, my sugar levels drop down, and uh, a, a bottle of pop is just perfect. And I keep my sugar levels between six and uh, ten. So uh, uh, you know, I'm good good to go there. But uh, one other thing. If the government wants to put such a tax on there, why don't they increase the refund of the bottles and that back to the people instead of five cents of return on a bottle? Maybe increase it up to 10 cents per bottle or 15 or 20 cents. Yeah, I don't know if the price of the uh, liquid inside the bottle has anything to do with the recycling uh, offering. But, I mean, put it this way. Regardless of the direct relationship or not between the two, it hasn't increased in my lifetime that I can remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I shouldn't I say that. I remember in my lifetime when I used to go buy a bottle of pop, it was 10 cents a bottle. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's right. Dave says, unless you're in Quebec. So th that's interesting. A uh, couple of things. I can get that information about uh, recycling. When was the last time there was an increase on a beer bottle or mm -hmm. uh, whatever? I think it's been an awful long time, to be honest with you. And then maybe someone can fill me in what the relationship is between uh, the price of the product and the value of the recycling. Because the recycling is only to put it back into, into the process, as opposed to it has yeah. anything really to do. Because, you know, you could have either if it was one popper or another inside the bottle it really doesn't matter it's only what the value of the recyclable is but i'll i'll go to the mmsb see if they can give me uh, something to latch onto there and maybe i'll talk about it in the morning if i can get some info yeah it would be nice patty sure. to see an increase in that on the deposits and that <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe people won't be throwing so much plastic out in the ditches and that too you know if there was any additional value, they'd probably keep it close by and return it to Evergreen or whatever. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, Patty, uh, you've talked to my brother Gary a few times. Okay. Uh, from He was from Robert's Arm there. Uh, the Philly, my brother had some strokes there back on the uh, 29th of July, and uh, he's doing quite well in that, but... Uh, uh, I don't think that he'll be calling you anytime soon. So, but uh, he does enjoy your show, and uh, he sure appreciates your values on stuff. Well, you tell Gary hello for me, and I wish him well. 
You betcha. Thanks a lot, Rob. Have a good day, sir. You yeah, too, bud. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, so there you go. Rob is in the queue to talk about the multi-material stewardship board and the price recycling. He maybe knows way more about it than me. Hopefully, he can fill in some of the blanks. Let's take a break for the news. But when we come back, we spoke yesterday about the fact that it's been a quiet hurricane season so far. No name storms by the end of August. Only the second time it's happened since 1960. We've got a guest coming up who's an atmospheric scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado. His name is Jeff Weber. Help fill in some of the blanks, what to anticipate, to look for, and why the weather is the way it is these days. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back to the program. Well, Jeff Weber, he's an atmospheric scientist at the National Center for Atmosphere, Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, and he joins us on line number five. Fantastic. Good morning, Jeff. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you. Happy to have you on the show. It was a couple of months ago we saw warnings coming from organizations like yours that we would have a very active hurricane season for a variety of reasons. But for only the second time since 1960, no named storms by the end of August. Now, there's a few out there brewing, Danielle and Earl and Fiona potentially developing. But what can you tell us about why you think we haven't had a named storm up until now? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it was forecast to be an active hurricane season for the Atlantic Basin and it still likely will be. But what we've had setting up over the uh, end of July and into through August is we've had a little bit of shear in the central Atlantic, and shear is when winds vary with direction and speed with height, and they tend to tear apart tropical systems as they're trying to form. Uh, and generally in the La Nina year, which we're experiencing the third one in a row, we, don't, we have uh, below average shear of the Atlantic Basin, and that's what was causing the forecast to be above average for the uh, activity. But we've had a little bit of increased shear than, than was expected. And additionally, there's been a persistent ridge over Europe. I'm sure you've heard about all the, the rivers running dry in Europe, you know, the, the Rhine and the Po and the headwaters of the Thames being dried up. And that's because of this persistent ridge that's been building up over Europe. And on the back side of that ridge, it's been picking up a lot of uh, dust from the Sahara. We call that the Saharan air layer or the Saharan dust layer. And as that comes off the west coast of Africa, it's very dry. And it really kind of puts a, a, a cap and it inhibits tropical systems from developing. And so we've had kind of these two factors at play, um, drier and, and sandier air than normal off of the west coast of Africa and increased shear in the central Atlantic that has kind of uh, stopped these systems from forming. So you refer to that persistent ridge as a blister on the planet. It was part of what drove the forest fires in North America, some of the persistent droughts we've seen in Europe and Asia. Are you anticipating that the ridge will not be apparent or not be as as it is now leading to a more active storm season? That, that, is, the, that is the belief. We believe it will progress and weaken. Um, what we've seen in this uh, climate changing environment as the planet continues to warm, especially in the northern hemisphere, as we see these ridges of high pressure kind of set up and, and dominate a region for a period of time. Uh, last year it was setting up over the western U.S. and Canada, and we were experiencing a lot of drought and uh, fires for that reason. And now it's kind of migrated over and set up over uh, uh, Europe and at times over Asia. And so this is a, a condition that we might be looking forward uh, to expect as time goes on in the future, that this type of signal will persist. But as we go out of August into September, that ridge should moderate. And I think the shear will also weaken as well. And I, I do still fully expect uh, a fairly active hurricane season as we get into September and October and into November. Keep in mind that the peak of the Atlantic hurricane season is September 21st. And so 
Um, there's a 90-day lag in the oceans for heating up from when we get the max insulation from the sun, like at the longest day in, in June. And so we really are looking forward to, to September to see how things really shape up. And I still foresee a, a fairly active season. What impact does warming sea temperatures have on hurricane season? Well, you have to have at least around 78 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit or 26 Celsius to sustain tropical development. And so if we don't have those temperatures in place, we're not going to get any type of tropical systems going. Um, The warmer the water is, the more powerful, the more vapor we can extract from the ocean and bring that into the atmosphere and translate that into energy as it changes from vapor into a liquid water. And that's where the the tropical systems get their energy. And so the hotter the basin, the the more intense storms we can expect. How quickly can you and your colleagues identify what may be potentially developing, whether it be Danielle or Earl and Fiona, from tropical storm to hurricane status? Can it happen very quickly? Can you see it a week in advance? Or how does it work? Well, we have... um, General circulation models, uh, a variety of them that we use to analyze uh, the conditions. And we see, you know, we, we have models that go out for 14 days. We have a fantastic suite of satellite imagery that allows us to look at these storms in real time. Um, currently, we are modeling the storm that is in the uh, central Atlantic to circle up around Bermuda and possibly impact uh, northeast U.S. and southeast Canada around September 10th. Um, and so we, we do see, a, we do have a little bit of a crystal ball. We do look into the future. Our, our models continue to improve, and they continue to improve as we get to uh, gather more observations and do more analysis of the current storms. And so that we use that information to help improve our models and hopefully give you better forecasts as time goes on. Can you forecast, you know, well in advance how devastating a hurricane would be? Because there's a difference between Katrina or Igor or Andrew. You know, sustained winds over 119 uh, kilometers per hour, of course, is devastating potentially. But some of these massive storms have had widespread impact, whether it be on human life, wildlife, and, of course, uh, public infrastructure. How accurate can you be in advance to how devastating a hurricane might be? Um fairly accurate. We're continuing to improve on that. You know, uh, decades ago, we were just looking at the storm and what the storm would do. And now what's important is how it's going to interact with land masses and, and societies as it makes impact. So we're looking at not only the storm, but also infrastructure, elevations that would be impacted by storm surge, um, infrastructure that would get impacted by that surge. And so we're trying to make a more holistic view of what the impacts of the hurricane will be, not just from a meteorological or atmospheric standpoint, but also how it will impact communities based upon how they're located or situated in regards to the storm. Insurance uh, payouts based on uh, naturally occurring weather phenomenon has been increasing year over year. Even though we've had no-name storms up until now, do you anticipate this to be as not only as active but as negatively impactful on different regions wherever it makes landfall this year, even though we've had a lag in the beginning of the season, so to speak? Yeah, I think it's very possible. Uh, there's, there's two analogs. You know, since 1950, there have been two Augusts without uh, named storms, 1961 and 1997. Uh, 1961 is the year I was born. That's great. Um, 1961 turned out to be a very active hurricane season, even though there was a dearth of hurricanes in August, whereas 1997 kind of waned and and fizzled out. And so um, the the possibilities are either are still there. However, the conditions in the Atlantic Basin currently are favorable for tropical storm development. And so I would lean more towards 1961's analog and say that we can still expect a fairly vigorous hurricane season. Keep in mind, Hurricane Andrew, which is incredibly devastating, didn't hit until August 16th. We're only two weeks behind that season. So, you know, we're we're kind of splitting hairs with with the the names of the months, but I think we still have the potential for quite quite an active season. Uh, Anything else you'd like to offer in summary? Because not often we get to speak with an atmospheric scientist here on the show. 
<laughs> well, I love I love talking with the community, and it's a, it's a great opportunity. And I would just like to say that uh, as we go into a warming planet, we can expect all sorts of uh, unique and bizarre weather. Um, and and so uh, stay tuned, keep your eyes on the sky, and anytime you'd like to have me back, I'd love to talk with you all. I'd be happy to have you back, Jeff. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. There you go. That's pretty great. Jeff Weber joining us from Boulder, Colorado. He's an atmospheric scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research. And we also, of course, have the opportunity to speak with a gentleman named Rob Robichaud, Bob Robichaud from the Canadian Hurricane Center. Having this bit of information up front, uh, inevitably, and I see it out of the corner of my eye, is why am I trying to scare everybody? I'm not trying to scare anybody. Just curious as to what an actual scientist thinks about what's happening, why there's been a lag, and what we can expect. Let's take a break. Rob, appreciate your patience. He wants to talk about the MMA. MSB and the price of recycling right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number one, Rob, you're on the air. Hey, Patty. Happy Thursday. <laughs> Same to you. Um, so I'm calling about the MMSB, uh, which is the Multi-Materials Stewardship Board. So they're, and this is as far as I understand. I'm not an expert in this field. I don't, I don't uh, proclaim to have all the answers, but um they my understanding is they're the people that essentially handle the recycling in newfoundland and labrador um overall so um i lived away for a while and in the province i lived in uh, and in a number of other ones they you pay eight cents for your bottle you get eight cents back when you bring it back you pay 20 cents for a two liter you get 20 cents for your two liter uh, 20 cents, I think, on a 40-ouncer uh, or bigger. Um, so they have a, a sliding scale, but you do receive 100% of the funding back uh, because the studies have shown that it encourages people to actually bring their, their recycling back. Because if a lot of people, I think it puts a bad taste in your mouth. You pay $0.08 cents and you get a nickel back. They just sort of say, well, screw it. What's the point? Um, but I, I went through their uh, their financials, and I encourage anybody to Google this because – my understanding with the provincial government is they're treated similar to the liquor board. They are. They're uh, a quasi standalone uh, organization. They have their own auditing and, and uh, pardon me, uh, annual reports, what have you. That's right. Yeah. So I asked them. I said, you know, why, why do you keep three cents on your on your um, your returns versus giving it back to the people that you know spent it? Um, you know, and I, I looked through their finances. Uh, you know, based on the numbers I see, and I could be wrong, they're sitting on almost $20 million in cash assets. Um, you know, and I just, I don't know. I mean, I look at the state of the province, and I look at inflation, and I look at all these things, and here they've got a government asset sitting on $20 million in 2021. Um, you know, some of the expenses, you know, are really scary. Like, if you, they're paying to store tires, I think, at a half a million dollars. Um the salaries are 1.6, but if you look at some of the expenses now, I emailed this over, and I, I don't expect you to be familiar with it, but you know they spent uh, half a million dollars on software, they spent uh, 300,000 on computer software. Um, you know they're sitting on I think seven million dollars in investments. I just think that you know you got a you got a board sitting on that kind of revenue. Um, in in pure cash flow, and you're holding back on the you know the recycling. And I know they have granting programs. They told me about their granting programs. But if you look at how much they give out in granting programs, it's nowhere near 20 million. It's nowhere near five million. Um, you know, I just 
I think somebody should review it and look at it and say, you know, is there a benefit to the environment to actually encourage people to recycle more by giving them back 100% of what they spend, especially in the in the financial crunch that everybody seems to be in. I know three cents a le- three cents a bottle may not seem like a lot to some people, but you're looking at a company that's sitting on $20 million because of that three cents. Yeah, no argument oh, here. No. I've looked at the annual report in years past. Last time I looked, I seem to remember the uh, cash assets in and around $17 million, so you're telling me it's increased. And that was like maybe two years ago. Now they do a bunch of stuff. Use oil management program and cell phones, and the tire expense should go away because there's a tire recycling company from Nova Scotia coming to set up shop here. Here in this province so that will we won't have that expense in the years to come which is excellent news but you make a great point look even if it's not three cents is going to make or break bank but what it will do is give people the sense of fairness i paid i want it back and consequently it won't cost the mmsb anything they're sitting on a fair amount of an asset we'll call cash on hand also they've got a thing called a trust fund last time i saw it was around seven hundred thousand dollars in that so there's money there for them to play with i know and you're right they do some granting programs programs and compost bins and those types of things but they got lots of money they absolutely do there's no reason why we shouldn't get full return on the money we pay in for the recyclable I, I agree, and you know I'm, I'm looking at it, and, and, and like you said, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an all-or-nothing solution, but you know, if I was the provincial government and I was looking for a, a simple solution for you know, increasing the cost, and also, you've got a lot of people that are, are going around collecting bottles, and it would really encourage people to do that. In the province I was in, I mean, there was people that you had to have a permit to collect in certain commercial areas because you know, they only wanted one person that was there doing it because the companies just didn't want to to handle it and and you know those people would would turn around then and 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 make themselves a little bit of side money um you know so there's a there's a lot of benefit to it i think and also we should be recycling glass in newfoundland i still don't understand that Uh, you know i mean i don't know why we don't recycle it here it can be used for a million different things between sand and erosion conservation you can use it in concrete construction if it's if it's uh, pulverized appropriately uh you know there's a bunch of different things and i would like to see a group such as the MMSB investing in those sorts of things. I know that they've invested, you know, 40,000, 50,000 here in small projects that are done by students at different universities and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, I, I just, there's a direct impact there. You, you lend $20 million is a lot of friggin' money. I mean, you can do a lot with that in this in this province instead of just keeping it in an account for the MMSB board, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and if it was more attractive for private business and the critical mass of glass was there for them to set up shop like we've proven is in the rubber business because there's a tire recycling company coming to town. So they see profit there. They're not doing it because of you know environmental stewardship. They think they can make a buck. If more and more people recycled everything that we could, maybe just maybe a private sector company will go ahead and get into the glass recycling business. I think that's the basics of how things work, not to oversimplify it, but you make fair points and I'm glad you sent it along. I see the email now, Rob. I'm going to have a look this afternoon for my reading pleasure. Yeah, maybe have somebody come on to sure. talk about it. I mean, you could have somebody from the province and someone from the MMSB board to make a, a case to, you know, keeping that revenue and, and not giving back that three cents per per bottle. But, you know, it adds up, obviously. It's it's there. It is <laughs> it there. somewhere. The chair is Durham Flynn, uh, who we know and has been a friend of the show. I can reach out and see if he can make time for us. No problem. Perfect, man. Well, have a good weekend. You too, Rob. Thanks for this. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, last word this morning goes to three. Daryl, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How are you doing today? Not too bad, you? You got good. Thanks. You got a good show going as usual, Patty. Well, well I want course. to talk about today. Darryl. No, I know I only got a few minutes there. Uh, 
uh, as you know, in central Newfoundland, we had uh, uh, major fires here, and uh, and we're lucky now we got it under control. But uh, I sat back, and when I looked at it, if you look at the Bay Spare Highway, that was the only artery for people to get in and out, and that was closed for numerous days off and on. And, uh, you know, it created a, a hardship for everybody down there, plus the mental stress and so forth. But what we need here in this province versus other provinces, got them more so in here, we need more service roads. Uh, and other provinces have got more service roads linking communities, communities like for tourism, that. As time goes on, we're going to have more state of emergencies, you know, climate change. Uh, you had John on your show earlier talking about, you know, the hurricanes and patterns and the warming up and so forth. And I think the Newfoundland Labrador government is going to have a look at do what other problems get done, have more service roads, more links. Because in the event if you have a catastrophe, either floods, hurricanes, fires, you've got other links that people get out of their communities and maneuver and move forward. Now, I know it's going to cost probably millions of dollars, but then again, there's millions of dollars uh, going in, uh, mis- uh, you know, and non-essential things. Uh, but what do you mean by access added. roads? So you mean roads get in and out of communities or access to the backcountry or what? What, is, what are we uh, talking well, about? Well, well, access to the backcountry would be great, but uh, for communities, like you look at Bay Despair, they only had the one artery. And yeah, that Con was River, the other yeah. way out. Yeah, Con River and that. But I'm talking about the whole province. Most provinces got service roads uh, that links, like, for tourism. Like, you know, they got links, like, Baron had to take the Trans-Canada Highway directly. You could you could take an off-road link to one community to the, to another. And we don't have enough of that here in the province when, when you take a look at it. Everything is more or less you got to use Trans-Canada Highway, uh, you know, as a rule of thumb, right? So, but if you had more service roads then people is more accessibility for people to maneuver in the event of emergency or whatever. And not only that's good for tourism as well, but I'm looking at the emergency part of it and what happened here in central Newfoundland uh, this summer. And when I sat back and looked at it, we need more accessibility for people to maneuver in the event of an emergency. Yeah, fair. I mean, I mean, one road in, one road out. We found out the hard way. Whether you go back to Fort McMurray yeah. and their major fire, they, they were in the same yeah. circumstance. Uh, you have had yeah, the last word exactly. this morning, Daryl. I hadn't really thought about beyond the fact that we know some communities were pinched off uh, when the fires mm-hmm. were raging, the Paradise Lake, and right there, the one that was impacting the Beta Spare Highway. But it's a fair point that you make and a good observation. Appreciate the time this morning. Yeah, and like I said, we're the only problems. Other problems have got all more service roads than here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And this this is what we've got to take a good hard look at for in the future. Appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thanks for having me on your show, Patty, and all the best to you and VOCM and your listening audience. You too, Daryl. Have a great day. You too, Thank sir. Bye bye. Right on. Thanks. Bye. All right. There we go. Got another one done. Big thanks to all of you who support the program, the listeners, callers, emailers, and tweeters. You're all right. We'll pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.